The year is 1197 and the long night has begun. When darkness falls, monsters walk the streets and alleys of the cities, congregating to plot and scheme. Fearing fire, the cross and the lupines of the wild, the elder Cainites nonetheless seek to guide and control human civilization through centuries-old plots, while the younger vampires scrabble for power, influence and prestige. Welcome to the world of Dark Ages. Velkommen, kære lyttere, til den 13. episode af World of Dark Ages podcast. Mit navn er Jakob. Jeg er Hertha Perdal. Og eftersom vi skal kigge på vikinger, så tænkte vi, at vi nok burde gøre hele det her afsnit i skandinaviske sprog. Jo, præcis. Vi pratar ju svenska og danska. Jeg vet at Jakob er svår at forstå i vanlige fall, men han er endnu sværere at forstå, når han prater danska. Men vi tænkte, at lyssnarna skulle få et litet smakprov på... Hur, eh, hur skandinavier låter idag även om de lät lite annorlunda på vikingatiden. Så vad säger du Jakob? Ja, alltså speciellt dansk lyder ju mycket, mycket annorlunda för vi är påverkade av speciellt tysk. But maybe we should switch to English. Yeah, we probably should so that we don't alienate our listeners completely. <laughs> anyway, greetings dear listeners and welcome to episode 13 of the World of Dark Ages podcast. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. <laughs> anyway, as we were saying in the beginning, uh, that was Danish and Swedish, um, which are both Scandinavian languages, and they are the descendants of Old Norse, but actually, at, at least Danish has drifted quite a ways away from Old Norse. Yeah, Sweden has as well, uh, due to um, well influence and trade mostly throughout the centuries. Yeah, I'm I'm actually currently on audiobook listening to uh, an American professor's translation of the Poetic Edda, mm. uh, and this guy has, has uh, done a lot of studying of um, of Old Norse language, and it's kind of interesting to hear some of these words being pronounced in as close as he's able to get to Old Norse, because it does sound quite different from um, from how I pronounce them in uh, in Danish. Um, so, as you've probably guessed, we're going to be taking a look at Viking history, culture, mythology, and so on in this episode. And obviously, the Vikings are a big part of, of both our national heritage. In fact, here in Denmark, it's part of the national curriculum for grade school due to 1864. Uh, do you know what happened in 1864? Uh, yeah, you lost against, was it Prussia? Or? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was the uh, Second Schleswig War, uh, Denmark against Prussia. Uh, we'd won in, I think it was 1849. Uh, and and then we got cocky and didn't realize that the only reason we'd won the the previous war was because there were countries that were afraid to have um, to have Prussia become too powerful. But then we lost the second war and we lost uh, a lot of territory. I think it's something like either a third or a quarter of Danish territory were lost to the Prussians. Uh, so with Denmark losing much of its territory, it gave rise to a wave of nationalism in Denmark. And it wasn't really the, the scary kind of right-wing nationalism we're seeing too much of these days, but more of a national romanticism. And so Danes started looking at a way to bolster our ego. And one way was the Vikings, back when Denmark ruled huge swaths of land and were feared throughout Europe. 
so even though it was back when Denmark was very, very Christian, Viking history and culture and legends uh, began being taught in school to the kids. So even uh, if a Dane has no other interest in the Viking Age, we will be taught some in, in grade school, and it remains a big part of, of Danish national identity, for, for better or, or worse. Um, what's it like in Sweden? Well, we, we did have the similar thing back in the 1800s with, with the Scan, Scandinavianism, which was basically, the like you said, uh, a kind of uh, pan, pan-nationalism for, for the Scandinavian countries. And there are, um, I, I think the, the war that you lost was basically the end of Scandinavianism because in, in kind of like the mid-1800s, there was this thing that, that the Scandinavian countries... Uh, Sweden, Sweden, Norway, because they, uh, Sweden and Norway was in a union, and and Denmark were kind of like kindred countries, and and we should help out each other. Yeah. And then when you had your war against Prussia, Sweden and Norway didn't help out, so it was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> you uh, bastards. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. Uh, but but you you still had the same kind of of like you said romanticized um, thing about um, ancient culture um, and. Uh, and, and not only kind of like the Viking era culture, but but a lot of uh, like uh, history up to that. So so a lot of of kind of like the the um, romanticized uh, artwork and and depictions of, uh, for example, uh, the the Nordic gods uh, are from that you still see today. I should mention uh, are from this area. So I have this mm. kind of like. Uh, almost shiny paintings of uh, of gods and heroes with the long flowing hair and and beating up trolls and and what have you. Um, but but besides that, what we we don't we, we are taught stuff like that in uh, in grade school. Basically, like if if we're um, when we're studying religion, we go through the the ancient gods. Uh, but in Sweden, we do kind of pick up. A bit of of every god, so so we learn about the Greek gods and Roman gods as well, kind of like just looking at them. Uh, but one thing that I think is kind of interesting is that uh, there are a lot of of kind of pop culture Vikings that that permeates uh, children's literature and stuff like that. So you have, for example, Vicky uh, Viking, which is about a, a a small Viking child, and I think is supposed to be around. 10 or something and his father is this great chieftain of vikings and they go abroad uh, but he's kind of like the the soft kid and he wants to use his brain to solve things uh, and and so there are like i think there is like eight books uh, and what's mm. interesting about them is that s- some of the stories are actually based on the old norse sagas and uh, also the the great viking epos written again in the 1800s uh, by Franke Bengtsson called Erik Röde in Swedish, the longships in English. So, mm. so you kind of have this this access to this this kind of heavy literature through children's literature, um, which, which I think is is kind of a neat thing to do. Uh, and we mentioned it in uh, in in one of the side quests. You have the Valhalla comic books as well. Yeah. So so you do have this. Even if it's not like taught that, yeah, we, we have to read the Edda. I, I read part of it uh, in university when I was studying um, Nordic languages. Uh, but but it's not like you're, you're being taught uh, uh, to do it in school, but you still have kind of a feeling of it. 
uh, which which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, before we move on to the book, there is uh, two things. The first one, which also gets mentioned in the book, is that Viking isn't an ethnicity or a nationality. It's it's sort of a job description. Yeah. It's it's yeah. You you go Viking. So it's it's. Uh, Basically, I think the best equivalent is is probably to say that you're a cowboy, if if you yeah exactly because it's it's something you do and and it's something that you you can do occasionally or seasonally and other times you just stay at home and and farm in the land. Yeah, exactly. They were farmers or craftsmen or whatever when they weren't going out a Viking, uh, and the pe- the people were called Norsemen or Northmen by other Europeans. Uh, and and they didn't, you know, say that I am a Viking unless they were possibly going out Viking. Instead, they called themselves by their land, so Danes or Swedes, or actually more likely, uh, even more locally, so in Denmark, Zealanders or Jutes, and in Sweden now, no Gothlanders or Rus or something like that. Yeah, you, you have the, from. the Goots in uh, on Gotland, and then you have Geats, uh, both both. Uh, Eastern Geats and Western Geats, uh, and then you Bloody have the, the Sveyar, which is where the, the name Sweden comes from, uh, yeah. and and you had a bunch of all uh, smaller. I, I would call them kingdoms actually, because they they usually had kings, and and often these kings were elected. Uh, so, yeah, so it's, so they, it's kind of petty kingdoms. Yeah, exactly. Uh, kind of similar to how it was down in Europe, where and especially Germany, where you had all the different. Yeah, Belgiums and and Franks and whatever down on the continent. So, uh, so so you didn't have like Sweden and Denmark uh, at this point in time. And and considering, or at least when we're talking the Viking era, when when we come up to the uh, time period of, of Vampire Dark Ages, you, that's about where the the nation states of Scandinavia. Start yeah, the forming. the national national identity start to form. Yeah, exactly, and then of course a lot of what is now southern Sweden was actually part of Denmark, so Scania yeah. and those places. Yeah, exactly. So the second second th- uh, thing we have to mention. Oh, by the way, just uh, popping back. Um, as I said. They, they weren't called Vikings, but we're just going to use the term Viking, I think, throughout the book, just yeah, because it's Viking. easier. Yeah, Viking or Norsemen or, or something Yeah, like things like that. So the second one is a bit more serious. For many years now, adherents of the right-wing nationalistic and white power movements uh, in many places in Europe and the US and, and even outside of that have co-opted Viking symbols and cultural practices for their own ends, something which came to prominence during the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol building. And seriously, screw those guys. Screw far-right nationalism and white power idiots. Yeah, fuck those people. Because if, if nothing else, it's kind of embarrassing how completely wrong they are. Because yeah. often these fuckheads are, are kind of... Um, misogynist and and racist and stuff like that and and if you look at viking society women had a very prominent role uh you you had a lot of uh for often for unfortunate reasons but but you did have people from other countries living in scandinavia at the time some of them were were being taken here as as thralls uh, which is basically slaves um, mm. especially in Iceland, it was popular for quite some time to go and find women in, in Ireland, uh, which, again, it's it's a kind of a, a touchy subject. And, and if you're doing those kind yeah. of well, things in I your gotta... games, treat it with respect. But, yeah. but again, the, it wasn't like you had this, this huge racist 
um, society that that these right wing nutcases wanted it to to be. Yeah, well, I have a I have an Irish coworker who likes to make a joke that the reason there are no pretty women in Ireland is because we came over and stole all of them, which is why he married a Danish girl. Yeah, um. and, and if you've been to Iceland, you can you can see that the the genetics is still around because there are a lot of beautiful, well, both men and women in in Iceland. Yeah, exactly. If you if you read the amazingly wonderful webcomic Scandinavia and the world uh, Iceland uh, uh, as the country is portrayed anthropomorphically as uh, two very very pretty um, people man and a woman with bishy sparkles and everything Mm. Um, however um, there has been a tendency for people maybe as a pushback to this or possibly as a result of the rise of uh, in popularity of Vikings in the last few years through for example, the TV show Vikings, there's been uh, a tendency to focus on the negative aspects of Viking history and culture. People talk about Vikings uh, taking, trading, and owning slaves, or thralls, as we call them, about their raiding and killing and their casual attitude towards rape. However, this was in no way limited to the people of Scandinavia at this time. As we covered in a previous side quest, people had slaves in Europe even after the fall of the Roman Empire. What I think we should make clear is the Vikings were no worse and no better than the other cultures of Europe at this time. And while romanticizing them to the point where you gloss over the things that they did is wrong, so is thinking that they were somehow more savage, uncivilized, or brutal than other people. Yeah, that is a very good point to make, and we we want to... Yeah, yeah it, I, I like that we're starting out with this, just to make the point there. So anyway, with all of that out of the way, let's get to the book. The book that we are looking at is called Wolves of the Sea, written by Jeffrey C. Grabowski, Jason Langlois, and Roman A. Ranieri, developed by Richard E. Dansky and Jess Heinick. So let's start with the cover, and what is your take on the cover? Oh, please, do, do we have to, <laughs> is, is kind of my... Well, okay, do you, want, do, you, do you want me to give you my note? I have three words as a note to this cover. Yeah, you, War- you do that, and that will give me Warhammer, time to think of it. Warhammer Fantasy Norska. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a, a very good uh, short description. Yeah, it's... the. I'm going to say it straight out. The worst thing about this book is probably the artwork, because it yeah. is so Conan the Barbarian, like you said, Warhammer-esque, that it's... That oh, it's I've also of, written Conan the Barbarian in my notes as well. Yeah, and... and we're, <laughs> I don't think we're going to have time to look through all of the pictures, at least not no. not now. So we're, we're probably going to to come back to this, and and you'll you'll just have to bear with us, dear listeners, yeah. because this is kind of a pet peeve for the both of us. Uh, but but yeah, I I think the the cover is it's it's not bad in the artistry. It's just completely wrong for what it's supposed to be, and it's exceedingly stylized. Yeah, and and the thing that kind of like was the worst part of this particular picture for me was not only is the 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 viking for a lack of a better word in in the front and center he's he's wearing this horned helmet uh and and he has a huge beard and his fangs exposed but he he doesn't look like a fierce warrior to me he looks more like like some kind of furry animal um, yeah. And and not in a good way. And and the guy to 
to uh, to our right, to the right on the picture, his left, kind of looks like the Lich from Adventure Time. If if you see <laughs> that one. And, oh, you're you're right. And and Adventure oh, Time is a fantastic series. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. But the Lich in that one is is not really scary in the traditional sense. Um, and and of course, the all of the axes are huge, and there are weird shoulder pads and and braces, braces. and <laughs> fur oh. and and decorations on the weapons that no one would be caught dead with and the the viking ship is just weird and uh yeah so should we just move on yeah so you mentioned the internal art yeah um and normally i talk about weapons and armor in pictures but there are just so many pictures of weapon and armor it would take too long but there is a section in here on viking viking weapons and armor and so i'll talk about it there yeah. there are two pictures i want to mention um well, actually, there are three because I just want to quickly mention page 23, which is basically the Conan picture. Um, the less said about that, the better. But yeah, oh, the guy yeah, sitting on the yeah, throne the with, with the picture. women and everything. But any, anyway, there are, there are two really great pictures. And one is on page... Um, see if I can uh, find out where I did. Yeah, page 35. Um, and that depicts what I think is meant to be a vulva, uh, a CRS. And it just looks amazing with the runes and her scarred face and everything. That's the picture that's also on the back. Mm. Uh, blood up her arm and everything. That picture is just evocative. And I could just totally see this being either uh, a vampire or someone with magic. Uh, that that picture, I think, is is really great. Yeah, it, it's a cool picture. but And, and I think we're going to come back to this as well. But it's, it's not very historical because... From from what I can tell, there are no uh, and and just to paint a picture, uh, it's it's mm. it's a woman kneeling down and she has a braid and what looks like one blind eye and then half her face is covered in, I don't know if it's supposed to be scars or tattoos or paintings, but she has runes over half her yeah, face. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be scarification. Yeah, and and as as far as we can tell, you you really didn't have this kind of of body modifications during the viking age and also just as a side note to get it over with you also didn't have vikings with with barbarian face paint or or blue face paint and and everything else that that hollywood and uh larpers are trying to make us believe that the vikings had so yeah um, uh, a, a favorite YouTuber of mine had a, coined a really cool phrase, uh, TV Viking, mm. and then he went through all the things that a TV Viking needed to have, and, and incidentally, I have quite a few of them, including a mohawk and uh, leather bracers and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. I can do a really good TV Viking. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but please, please, no, no face paint, especially not blue yeah. face paint. That was the Picts, and they lived in Scotland way before William Wallace did, so... Exactly. Though I will say I can I can definitely see in the world of darkness if if we go beyond sort of what we know historically. I definitely see in the world of darkness uh, a a CRS or a witch uh, carving runes into her own face for power. 
Yeah, yeah. If you if you want to go that path, uh, I'm then then I'm just gonna say that I'm really impressed if she did it herself. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> I, I probably should have had someone to do it. So the other picture I, I I want to mention is on page twenty five, where we have a female, I very much assume vampire, cleaving through an opponent's sword, shield, and body with a massive blow from a two handed axe, what's commonly called a Dane axe. Mm. Though even though it pains me to say this, it wasn't called a Dane axe in in the Viking era. That's a, a more modern take on it. Uh, now, Danax is a very powerful weapon, so backed by supernatural strength, I actually would say this is quite believable that she would be able to cleave all the way through uh, through there. And even without vampire strength, an axe could easily smash either a shield or break through uh, a sword of the time. Uh, the shield and the sword are a bit off, with the shield being strapped rather than center grip, the sword being too broad, uh, too long a grip, and, and things like that. But the guy's helmet is perfect. That's that's very much a spangle yeah. helm. And the axe is perfect. Axe heads at this time were made of iron with a steel edge forge welded on. Uh, and on this picture, there's a line uh, marking the shift between edge and head on the picture, which there also are on... Um, on axis of this time because it's two different metals. And you can also see that the axe head is fastened to the handle uh, by means of driving a wedge into the top of the haft so that the haft is expanded. Um, and that's the, the way that axe heads were fastened at this time. So there's top mark here. Uh, and incidentally, both of these pictures are made by Ron Spencer, who's one of my favorite artists and who's done a lot of really cool werewolf art. Ah, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it and... Well, swords could indeed break in battle, and and when I've been doing some historical reenactment, I've I've seen swords both bend and break. Um, the the way that it's been done in this particular picture, where yeah. where you actually have like slivers of of sword, uh, not not only just like one piece breaking off, but but you have shards or slivers breaking off as well. If that would have been a real sword, it would have been hardened way too too hard, so it would have been turned brittle. So, so no wonder it it would have mm. broken. But I'm I'm just looking, and and this is just me nitpicking. But I'm just looking at the angle of the axe and where the axe head is uh, in yeah. a, uh, in relationship with the shield and the body, and it seems almost like she she used n- not the axe head, but uh, but a handle to to break the the sword and the shield and everything, and that just looks a bit off to me. But but yeah, it's it's a very nice axe, and and like you said, the helmet is is spot on. Yeah. Um, so onto the the rest of the book. We start with a four page intro story, and what did you think about it? I it was very TV Viking, if if anything else, <laughs> and and, uh, and and it's very. Very stereotypical, and and I would say that it's it's very much a product of its time of of how Vikings were portrayed um, when the book was written, and kind of like the stereotypical that you have this uh, this this brave, almost brash, and and um, stubborn Viking, yeah, reckless Viking leader who's going off to do the stuff, and then of course it it ends up badly, uh, and I I just have some some weird or there were some weird things that i would like to bring up for for example they they refer to uh to the captain i think it is or if it's a king that is mentioned but but they they talking about him with with his last name like captain um angrim song son or something like that and 
and you you didn't refer to people by their last names. It's, no. it's not Mr. Anderson. It would it would have been Steve, son of yeah. Anderson, or whatever. You you didn't. It, it's the same with kings today. You you don't call you you don't refer to to the Queen of England as Queen Windsor. You call her Queen Elizabeth or Your Majesty or Please don't invade us. Uh, yeah, and, and so that yeah, was... you'd use you'd use the last name if you had. Now we have we have two Erics, but yeah. that one is Eric Erikson, and that one is Eric Haraldson. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, Hrothgarson, which is Hrothgar is is a uh, name of the era, so that is perfectly fine. Uh, and and the other one when we're talking about names is that one of the characters, the kind of second in command, is called Hautala, uh, and. Hautala is a Finnish surname, which again is weird that someone is referred to by a surname. Um, and Finns really didn't go Viking in the same sense. There were trading and and kind of that thing going on in that part of, well, it's not Scandinavia, but, but the Nordic countries as well. Uh, so it, it wouldn't be completely out of place with someone from what is now Finland being part of Viking crew, but it's still weird that he's referred to as um as his last name uh, as as a side note and and this is just because i i'm reading a book uh or i've started reading a book series called um in swedish Povakti Öster, uh, but it's it would be best translated as guarding the east um, and mm. for those who didn't know um finland was a part of the, of sweden for for quite some time uh and uh, so this book is basically the, the history of the, the Finnish part of, of Sweden. Uh, and it oh. starts out even before Finland became a part of Sweden. Uh, so they're talking about kind of this, this Viking era as well. Um, and what, what's interesting is that the same kind of like behavior going on on raiding and, um, and trading trips uh, that Vikings did by boat... Uh, people in some parts of Finland did on on skis or by riverboat instead. So you have you have kind of like this these trading expeditions uh, going to the Novgorod area, for example, and down to the Baltics, and uh, and so and so you have the, the same kind of, of behavior from the Finns as well. Uh, and there's even a, a small subsection in this book uh, for that they're basically talking about tactics and. For those of you who know how the Finns fought during World War II, uh, <laughs> at least for a lot of the times, that is by, by ski patrols and uh, white winter camouflage. Apparently, that was something they, that they did even back then. Uh, and it, it wasn't exclusive for, for Finns, but people in the kind of uh, the area of, of Karelia, which is southeastern uh, Finland bordering on, on Russia. So, so you had like this small... Uh, Small small gangs or, or raiding parties uh, of skiers going down and and attacking from out of no, nowhere and then grabbing what they could and and they then running on. Uh, so that was just a, a small detour into the Finnish um, part of of the Viking society. But uh, the the final part that I wanted to mention uh, that is being brought up in in this introduction and it uh, it's a running theme theme through the book is is the use of the phrase or the term varger uh, yeah and and in in the book it's explained that that's the word uh, the, the old norse word for for wolves uh, and in a way it was uh, but not really 
because uh, the, the the original word for wolf is ulv, which is basically yeah. wolf. It's it's the same word mm. etymologically, um, and so varger or or varg in um, in singular, uh, it's what's known as a nona name, and it's the kind of um, it's it's a word or a phrase that you use when you don't want to give the thing that you're talking about power. So for example. Uh, it's it's very common that you don't talk about the devil. You talk about old scratchy or yeah. stuff like that. Uh, and vulgar, the 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 word itself it means malefactor or an offender or someone who does bad deeds. So so you talk about the wolf being someone who does bad deeds, and then it became the more common word for it. So so they kind of switched them around in this particular case. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's wrong to call raiding vampires or vampires in general for for Vargar. Uh, it's a suitable term, but it's again, it's a bit weird that it's it's switched around. Yeah, I I was you no know, when I was reading, I was thinking, yeah, this is if this hadn't been in a vampire book, this would be a good story. Um, but but I would have preferred one that actually focused on vampires <laughs> rather than the mortals encountering them. And I couldn't help but think whether or not the person writing this story had recently watched uh, The 13th Warrior. Because oh, there is yeah. the same sense of a supernatural evil coming in the night. Uh, incidentally, I will say I love the movie The 13th Warrior as long as you don't see it as any kind of historical movie that is 100% a fantasy movie but when you see it as a fantasy movie i love it i absolutely love it yeah um, well well of course if again if you're into weapons and armor the fact that he grinds a viking sword into <laughs> basically a scimitar uh, which what, it, which didn't exist at that time they didn't use curved sword yeah, at that time vikings <laughs> vikings actually had, there, there are quite a few finds of oh, i would basically call them viking falchions but they're they're uh, single-edged. Uh, yeah, the uh, the long sax. Uh, that no, was not, maybe not found... the long saxes, but but basically uh, a one-edged um, Viking sword with with a very pointed yeah. tip. Yeah, they were mainly found in in Norway, if I recall correctly. Yeah, few of the founds have been from Norway. And and just going back to the third war, one guy has a gladiator helmet, and another guy <laughs> has like a 17th-century Spanish helmet. Um, I, I guess it. One guy has a, a two-handed sword. Well, sorry. One guy has a, a what is basically a Viking two-handed sword. Yeah, yeah. So, but I'm I'm guessing it it wouldn't be impossible for for a Viking finding a gladiator helmet, but unless they're time traveling, there's no way they can find a 17th century Spanish <laughs> helmet. So. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I think it's um, going to be a long episode. <laughs> I think so as well, but I, I did mention that uh, in, in the last episode that, that we will probably have a lot of, of asides here. So, uh, dear listener, if you think this is going to be long, we, uh, we advise you to maybe break it uh, into two parts when you're listening. Anyway, yeah. we then move on to the introduction, which gives us not only a quick intro to the book, but also a guide to pronouncing the letters uh, used in some words um, because they are they are using some of the old Norse letters, mm. uh, some of which are actually still used in Icelandic today. Yeah. Um, they, there's also a lexicon, uh, various resources, um, you know, various books and internet resources, and a timeline of Viking history. All in all, it's a good intro. There are there are two things I want to mention. 
the first is that the intro, as well as the following chapter, describes Scandinavia as a cold land of ice yeah. and snow. Uh, and while the winters were certainly cold, one of the things that spurred on the raids and conquests of the Viking Age was actually a change in the climate that warmed the lands and made a food a lot more abundant than it had been. And especially in Denmark, which uh, was warmed by, the, uh, and still is warmed by the... Um, why, uh, why can't I remember uh, what that's the, called? The, the ocean current. Uh, Gulf Stream. Gulf Stream. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Uh, and also sheltered by the British Isles and southern Norway, uh, you had a very mild climate. Yeah, yeah, we we did and we still do um, in in some ways. So so yeah, it, when when you have more food, you you're gonna get more people, and then those people are going to need some way to uh, to stay or or just to get rid of them because you have too many people hanging about not really contributing uh, so so that's also a thing to remember that a lot of these viking expeditions were actually to find places to live uh, yeah and and that's that's how they got to um the faroe islands and iceland and ireland and the whole yeah. of the Danelaw in england and and exactly and um so so yeah uh, the second thing is that the timeline ends in 1018 with Knudens Dor, Knud the Great, mm. traveling back to Denmark with his host to become king. Now, the most common date to end the Viking Age on is obviously 1066, the Battle of Stamford Bridge, and it's not like they didn't have more space for the timeline. So I, I kind of wonder why they ended it in 1018. Yeah, but, yeah go ahead. You know, that's... That's just minor nickels for me. Yeah. So what what do you have to say? Yeah. Well, just just touching on on that uh, on the date thing, I I agree that it's very weird that they they didn't finish it in in 1066 because for for some historians and of and of course this is uh, somewhat up to debate, but but the Viking era is um, again at least according to some one of the few. Um, historical areas where we actually have uh, a pretty set starting date and ending yeah. date because it, it starts in 1793 with the first recorded attack, uh, Viking attack on a monastery um, on, yeah, the on, the Isle of, monastery. Uh, uh, on the Isle of Lindisfarne, um, yeah. June 8th even. So they, they have an actual date. And then it, it pretty much ends in, in 1066 when uh, Willem the Conqueror who is a descendant of Vikings because he comes from Normandy. And of course, mm -hmm. the, the name Normandy means land of the Normans, which is the Northmen. Uh, so, and, and that was kind of the last great Viking raid. And, and after that, they more or less settled in and, and became uh, locals wherever they were. So, so yeah, I, I agree that it makes really no sense to, to end it like this. Um, if, if nothing else, just for a, a historical uh, peculiarity of, of having a set starting date and ending date. Um, yeah. the, the timeline in itself is, is really nice. And I like that they, um, in all of these historical mortal events, they have a few um, vampire events as well thrown in just for good measure, uh, which is a nice touch. And, and again, it's a book about vampires. So we want to know what, what they are doing. What they were up to. <laughs> yeah, as, as for the... For the chapter in and of itself, I I, I do love the kind of um, almost naivety uh, of of having um, having internet resources with um, with web pages. I I haven't actually tested any of these, but I I would be 
impressed to be perfectly honest if if any one of them was still up. <laughs> um, yeah but when when it comes to the um, to the lexicon um, the first word that they use uh, or that they give us is is afterganger uh, and it's supposed to be a common Scandinavian term for a vampire and I don't know if they just directly translated efter which is after and and gongare yeah. who or which means walker or, or uh, yeah someone who walks after yeah. as in after they're dead yeah i i haven't heard that term in in swedish before this we have you, you have the, we have one in danish you you do okay because in sweden you have gengångare. oh yeah that's the same one we have in danish genganger yeah but but i haven't heard the afterganger sounds very much like a construction yeah because genganger means someone who walks again yeah Exactly. Rather than someone who walks after. Yeah, so so it's it's a bit weird, uh, and and of course, um, I was a bit surprised that they didn't include the phrase uh, "drauger," which is yeah. basically the the Scandinavian or Norse version of a of a revenant, someone who yeah, comes back uh, from the dead. Um, drauger and uh, hakbui. Yeah. So so that was and and then. Sorry for all the linguistic niche making, but uh, you you have uh, the term uh, drakkar, which is it's said that it's a long ship. Uh, first of all, uh, it's drakkar with just one k. You don't use double consonants or, uh, or not hard consonants like this in 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 Scandinavian, at least not anymore. Use ck if you want uh, um, mm, uh, yeah. two k or a longer k sound, but it should be. One drake and two or more drakar, uh, so it's yeah. it's a long, uh, longer a sound, uh, and and then you have a term for for the other um, usually for the for the trading ships and in in this book it's spelled k n o r r uh, and at least in Swedish it's k n a r r so it's a knar and not a knor. Yeah. Um, a knorr is could be the the tail the, the curly tail of a pig, so it's it's a bit weird again. Um, but I I don't know if it's a pronunciation thing that they heard the word knorr and and thought it should be a, a knorr or an, an o. But well, well, in from what I've I've recently learned is that there uh, in um, in ancient Norse many of the very A-like sounds that we have have a tendency to become more O-like sound, or rather it was the other way around. They started out as more O-like sounds, and then we made them more A-like sounds. So it could have been that in, in the Viking Age, it would have been more like a, a knurr rather than a knarr. Yeah, perhaps. But, but I, I, I don't know enough about linguistics to be 100% sure yeah, but, of any of but that. But at least in Swedish, it's it's always, I don't know about Danish, but it's it's always been transcribed as, as knarr with an A. So, yeah. But, but yeah, again, it's it's just me nitpitting. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I, I do like the fact that they, they do have some, um, a, an explanatory lexicon and the pronunciation guide. Um, and, and the rest of the uh, phrases or words being used uh, are, are used correctly. Like you, you have the Holmgong and the Hus card and, and the yeah. thing and, and things like that. Uh, so, so yeah, that's, that's it for, for that part. So yeah, chapter one is about Viking culture. 
Uh, now, right off the bat, I want to mention a sidebar at the beginning of this chapter, which talks about exposure, the practice of leaving disabled children out to die rather than letting them grow up. Much like the idea that the Spartans did this, this is more myth than reality, but I would say that it does fit with the world of darkness. Uh, just be aware that it was an extremely uncommon thing in real life. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think a lot of it stems from... Um, basically christian propaganda that when, yeah because this was this was something you did to your cultural and religious enemies that it you you made of a bunch of, of bullshit around and to make them seem worse so so and and i can kind of understand that if uh, if if you're a christian missionary going to this this very i wouldn't call it savage but in some ways brutal Different. and what were you saying a different place. Yeah, a different place, also. and and you have this uh, this harsh climate. Um, then then I guess it, it would be something that that you could expect from them. Um, I I just wanted to point out uh, the artwork as as good examples. Actually, on on page twenty and and twenty one, you have uh, except oh, yeah, for, for a wagon uh, which looks kind of out of place. The the depictions of of the the landscape and and the the kind of boats and houses are are actually quite nice and and thematical. Um, the only problem I have with the picture on, on page twenty one is that the the strong Viking bearded Viking carrying a, a huge sack over his shoulder has a sleeveless shirt on, which is <laughs> just sure he likes. Well, his maybe guns. it is very very hot in the summer. Yeah, but you would probably just take it off and you wouldn't have a, yeah. a, a sleeveless shirt. Uh, oh, and, and just going back to what you mentioned, I, I forgot uh, about the climate. Uh, you often talk about Scandinavia or at least Sweden and Norway as, as the, uh, the country of, of the midnight sun. And, yeah, yeah. And yeah, there is, uh, you, you can see the midnight sun in, in the very most northern part of Sweden. And, and back in this time period, there were mostly the Sami people living up there. So, so you have to go really far up north. Um, and if we go to Iceland, uh, Iceland is actually quite a bit further down south than what people expect. So I think there's just like the, the very northernmost tip of Iceland. No, not even the tip. There is a single tiny island that belongs to Iceland that is north of the polar circle. Yeah. And that's the only part of Iceland. Yeah. So, uh, which so I randomly learned from an episode of um, Pointless on BBC. Okay, yeah, cool. So <laughs> so yeah, so so you do it, it's not like you have this this six months of, of winter with complete darkness and six months of, of midnight sun. So so yeah, we do have some beautiful summer nights when, when you can basically stay up all night. Um, uh, and it you you have these amazing sunsets and sunups, but but it's it's not a country of um, midnight suns. Nor if you listen to Led Zeppelin's immigrant songs, uh, are there that many hot springs? At least not in uh, there. There are f quite a few in in Iceland, but not really in Sweden or, or Norway. No, I mean just to put things into perspective, uh, if I recall correctly, Denmark is pretty much at the same. Um, latitude northern latitude as montreal in canada yeah um so that should give people sort of an idea of how long days and nights are but just to be to be clear uh, scandinavia does not have anywhere near the same climate as northeastern um north america 
because of yeah a lot of factors including the Gulf Stream and everything. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. Um, but up until the the part about Viking equipment, I think they did a good job of describing Viking culture. And they include a, a lot of interesting interesting stuff. It's clear that they are involving some of the more dramatic things from from the sagas like hall burnings and cutting the blood eagle. But I think that's appropriate for a game because you want a game to be nice and, and dramatic. Uh, so up until we get to the um, uh, to the the Viking equipment, do you have any more uh, comments about what what's being written? Uh, yeah, I'm ju- just touching on the on the whole blood eagle thing. I I think unfortunately that's that's most likely a myth because yeah, first from of the all, it's, it's, it's very hard to do. Basically, what you're doing is you're you're trying to remove the lungs through the rib cage either through the front or the back depending on on who you're asking uh, without killing the subject and that's that's very hard to do uh, because if nothing else the person is going to bleed out but but it's a very cinematic thing and it's described as something that you only do to really humili- humiliate someone um, and yeah. they also mentioned that that a vampire could probably survive this uh, they're going to be horribly, horribly maimed and, and need a lot of blood to heal. So, so in in a world of darkness setting, uh, I'm I'm all for it. Um, I'm uh, th- there are a few things, and and uh, wh- when it comes to the, because they talk about um, uh, religion uh, and what what I like about uh, Norse religion or or the kind of Norse way of, of looking at religion. Um, is uh, is the fact that it's it's a very pragmatic uh, way of looking at it. The, for for first of all, the the actual gods aren't really the omnipotent um, beings that that other uh, religions have. Um, if if nothing else, they they are probably very much inspired by by some of the Greek gods. Yeah, uh, because you had people from Scandinavia and, and Germany, and and of course Wotan. Uh, and his his friends down in Germany are basically the same as Odin and a lot of other Swedish gods. Um, so there are there are some interpretations that uh, the thunder god Thor, which for some reason he's called Thonar in this book quite a bit. I don't yeah, and I, I don't understand that because uh, I mean from when when I've seen it uh, in in um, in Old Norse, it's been more like uh, Thor. Uh, rather than Thonar, the, the the rolling R yeah. is what what I've seen more than than putting an A in there. But maybe that's just an English transcription. Yeah, but again, for for me as a Scandi, it it doesn't really make sense. But uh, but he he seems to have a lot of influence uh, from from Zeus or or Jupiter if if we're a fan of the Romans, uh, like being being very loud and. Um, uh, not phlegmatic, but dramatic and and yeah. emotional, and and of course hurling lightning bolts. Uh, in in Thor's case, uh, through his hammer. Um, but mew mew. Yeah, Mjolnir. Uh, and uh, <laughs> but but it's uh, he he throws when he throws his hammer. That when you hear that's when you hear thunder and and see lightning. Yeah. Uh, and there's actually an an old word for for thunder um, called Thordan, which basically means the noise of Thor. Um, yeah. But but yeah, what what I like uh, that, that's what I like about the the Norse mythology is that it's it's very pragmatic. Um, it's it's a bit weird that they called it um, at one point the antique religion as compared yeah. to what really. Uh, 
Um, but well, I mean, if if you take uh, Dark Ages in eleven ninety seven to twelve forty one, it's old, but it's not really antique. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and and I'm gonna gonna come back to to a thing about uh, folklore and stuff, but uh, but the the Vikings just kind of like the Greek and Roman, they they did include. Um, in parts from from other religion in their religion, and uh, if if you read um, the long ships, uh, which is also available in comic form, because why why isn't it, or why shouldn't it be? Uh, again, part of making uh, ancient Swedish culture um, more more accessible through through pop culture means. But it's it's um, uh, it's an epic story about uh, Röde Orm or Red Snake. I think it's mm. translated as Red Worm because worm is an old word for uh, for snake. But he's yeah. he's a Viking who um, in, at first it, it doesn't really end up well for him because he's um, he's being captured as a slave by um, by Muslim warriors from uh, from Spain, which of course was. Uh, a Muslim was it a caliphate or what was it back? Oh, that depends on back back in the Viking age. I'm fairly certain it was the caliphate. I cannot remember if it was the Abbasids or whatever because yeah. it changed hands a ton of time. But yeah, back then, uh, and th- there was the the Andalusian caliphate. Yeah. Uh, so so he ends up as as a rowing slave uh, for for quite a few years, and it's uh, it's to the point that. He he becomes left-handed because he uses his left uh, hand to to row for so many years, uh, but then he ends up in well modern-day Spain, um, and and he is actually given the chance to uh, he and some of his Viking friends uh, should be mentioned uh, they're they're given the opportunity to uh, convert to to Islam and then be set free, and mm. and they they kind of reasoning uh, the reasoning goes like well. We're really far away from from home, and Odin is a god of of Scandinavia, where it's really cold. Yeah. It's it's probably too hot for him here. So, and this is <laughs> this is a desert god. So, and we're kind of in a deserty place. So, yeah, let's let's just switch around to it. Um, and then they they act fairly Muslim for for quite a f- few years on a big chunk of the story, um, and then they. Uh, on their way home, they pass through Ireland, um, and then again they they kind of get the opportunity to to convert to Christianity because uh, they they want to marry some Christian women, and they kind of figure that well we left Odin back home in in Scandinavia, and uh, and Allah isn't going to be with us up this far north because it's it's cold and wet and damp. So yeah, just when in Rome or when in Ireland. <laughs> So, so they kind of go through all the three major religions of uh, of wherever they they go to, and and they don't really have a problem with it because it's it's like yeah, of, of course you do. You 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 worship the gods of the place you're at. You worship the gods that can help you yeah. because the uh, and I mean I with with the with the the religious chapter here, I I think they would have been nice for them to include perhaps more gods and more about the gods. 
um, yeah. like like you mentioned here, because yeah, it is a very practical thing, and and they didn't believe that their gods were the only gods. They were just the gods of the areas where where they were. And if they went out and conquered or settled an area, they brought the gods with them. But if they were just visiting, I mean, they they weren't about to to piss off the the local gods if they were going to remain in the area. They had no problem stealing from other gods' temples. But like you said, if they were going to stay in a Muslim area for a while, it made sense to be good friends with Allah because otherwise who knows what he would do they were used to God being uh, basically dicks often yeah exactly uh, so so yeah that's that's that on on religion and we of course you know us we, we might come back to it uh, but <laughs> then then we have uh, a section on uh, on runes uh, and and runes and and also kind of like the religion as well is is quite interesting because um, of course, when, when Christianity showed up properly and, and when you started getting books uh, and, and stuff like that, and, and especially the Latin language with the monks who live in monasteries. Uh, <laughs> we, Among all the vampires. We, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, uh, the, probably a few monks even in, in Sweden. Um, you, uh, you, of course, started to use the, the, the Latin alphabet, but the, the knowledge about runes stayed on for for a very long time oh yeah uh, longer than people probably uh, expect yeah and and um uh, and and not only like you not only like some some kind of fancy thing that you did or like oh this is what our ancestors did but but it was probably used in um in everyday um events especially since the the thing about runes is that they, they're very pointy because uh, you you carve them into hard material, which means that it's mm. very hard and difficult to make round letters. So you have this this kind of of angular yeah, lines angular. that intersect. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and so if 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 you're a, a woodsman in in Sweden in the 1400s and you need to uh, send a mes- message or or mark your your axe or something so that it doesn't get lost in camp. It's a lot easier to to carve something blocky and angular. Uh, so so it stayed around and um, and and the, for those who, who are familiar with the Kensington runestone, which is an 1800s fakery, um, <laughs> it, it's the the reason that it is. It's because the guy who carved it. Uh, I don't remember if he or his parents came from Sweden. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, in the 1800s, there was a huge amount of Swedish um, emigrants going from Sweden to uh, to the US uh, because of, of starvation, basically. It's, it's the same as in Ireland. Uh, you didn't have enough food, industrialization and capitalism kind of made things worse for the workers. So you had a lot of people uh, moving to, to the promised land and across the sea. Uh, and so this guy in the 1800s, he had enough knowledge about, I'm not sure if you should call them ancient runes, but but at least runes to carve his own runestone. Um, and and you have, and I, I think I mentioned it in, in one of the side quests or one of my other ramblings is that you have a lot of folklore from, from all up to the 1800s, including the 1800s, where... Uh, where Odin and and Thor and and other people from Norse mythology are basically interacting with with for that period modern society. So uh, you can find you can you can come across Odin out hunting with a rifle, 
and, and not his spear, <laughs> because why wouldn't he be hunting with with a rifle at, or at least a musket in the 1800s? Because that's what you mm. used to hunt in the 1800s. Um, so, so the knowledge about um, Norse mythology and runes and stuff uh, stayed with us for for a very long time. Um, and of course, people were illiterate, so you didn't you you made your mark. Uh, and, mm, yeah. and especially in Sweden, you you have catalogs of marks that are belonging to uh, farms because you you had like the mark for that farm, uh, so it stayed on for a, for a very long time. So um, if you want to do something with with this in the world of darkness, you can of course put a more sinister twist on it and have the magic runes and stuff like that. Uh, and it wouldn't be out of place in the 1200s. Is basically what I'm <laughs> coming. Exactly. To. Yeah, there were there were still um, uh, not not national level um, legal documents, but but definitely local level legal documents in Denmark written in runes in in the 13th century, mm. because that was what people knew. Yeah, and and of course you uh, you would still see remnants of the Vikings in the landscape, especially in Sweden and especially in the. The area of Sweden where I live, we have runestones everywhere, uh, mm. and a lot of the runestones are from after uh, the the Swedes were Christianized, but they still would go Viking even though they were Christian, uh, and, uh, and 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 so a lot of them actually have crosses on them. Uh, but yeah. when when I'm when I'm saying that they're literally everywhere, it's I I mean that. Well, not not literally, literally, but for example, my my high school had a runestone that had been <laughs> sitting there. It it probably had been moved around because it was old farmland, but it's it's a runestone from that time period. Um, mm. And uh, and so and and generally, the area where I live is is just littered with with ancient findings. I I can quite literally from my balcony see um, a, a Bronze Age burial mound. Uh, which is from around 1000 BC, where they found a huge amount of, of gold uh, treasure and a few bronze swords. Um, and this small suburban town where I grew up, um, it was it basically started out as a farming town, so there are a lot of farmlands around it. Uh, but in the 60s and 70s, when they started building houses for, for people to actually live in uh, or making it into a suburb to Uppsala, um, at first, they they started building the houses with basements, but the thing was the or the problem was that when they dug the basements, they found relics from from the Stone Age and Bronze Age and, and stuff like that. And in Sweden, we have quite strict laws in that if you yeah find same this, in Denmark yeah well and and if you find this kind of stuff, you have to bring in the archaeologists yeah. to to dig it up because it could be something important. Uh, and and so. In the end, they they stopped building the houses with the basement because then they wouldn't dig the foundations deep enough to to find all these things. <laughs> yeah, here in here in Copenhagen, when uh, when they were um, preparing the new metro line, mm, yeah, new subway line, they actually uh, budgeted. I don't know how much time. I think maybe like a year and a half extra for the archaeologists to work through. Uh, the 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 areas that were dug out for the subway and a lot of information about the history of Copenhagen was unearthed because they were building a subway uh, because we have the same laws that if you find something then the archaeologists have to go in yeah so uh, and and uh, yeah that means that that you know back in 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 the Viking age at least in in Sweden and also in Norway you would you would see 
uh, runestones throughout the land. In Denmark, they were rarer because, uh, as we've mentioned before, Denmark doesn't really have that many big rocks. What we have when it comes to big rocks are boulders that have been transported to Denmark uh, through the um, Ice Age. Yeah. Uh, because we don't we don't have bedrock and we don't have mountains, so you can't just go out and and find a suitably large stone to uh, to make into a rune stone. You're going to have to look through the the landscape in order to find a boulder that has been been transported. So we don't have that many uh, here in Denmark, but but people really like to write runes on stuff. Yeah. So um, and, and yeah. So so you can see them everywhere. And and if you go to Uppsala just by the university uh, and or between the university and, and one of the museums um, during, again, during the 1800s, when you have this um, Scandinavianism and, and national romanticism, uh, they they brought a bunch of these rune stones into uh, central Uppsala just to, just to display them, basically. Uh, so, yeah. so again, in, uh, even in the 1800s, you, you had people interested in that. Um, and, uh, and, and of course, the fact that, well, they're not really that difficult to... Um, to translate or, or decipher if you don't know the the runes beforehand, but but you still had enough people knowledgeable the runes uh, that that you they could be read, um, mm. and and actually going way back to the beginning of this topic, you mentioned that that in uh, in Denmark you were being taught the, the Norse mythology. Uh, in 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 high school we we actually had to go to. Uh, to the rune stone and and kind of decipher it. So that was our. Um, we, we did have a lexicon and and like the the, uh, the runic alphabet to to work from. So, uh, but but yeah, it's it's part of um, it's it's part of the society um, at least if you know where to look. Um, yeah. So one thing I really loved in this in this chapter was uh, that they spend quite a bit of time talking about uh, Vikings as traders because there mm. is this idea that Vikings were only raiders that they would sail out they would attack they would steal everything they couldn't then they'd sail off but the thing was that that you know they would also trade and if they came to a city that looked too powerful to take then they would sell the stuff that they'd raided along the way uh, there's a, a great joke uh, how can you tell whether a Viking is a raider or a merchant yes <laughs> if you're holding a weapon he's a merchant um, <laughs> yeah. so um, but but yeah so so I like the fact that they um, that they make clear that Vikings weren't just always people sailing out to attack places but that they also traded and they brought amber uh, along the the gold of the Baltic as it was called and there was the the amber road that that brought amber all the way to um, to southern Europe uh, and they traded first and obviously they traded whatever they stole from other people but still they they didn't just go out to uh, to loot pillage and burn uh, and and it's good that they mentioned that as well. Yeah, I I wouldn't have minded a bit more on on the exploration aspect of, of Vikings. Like like we mentioned, they they did go to other places to explore and to find new lands. Unfortunately, often someone else lived there, but but you could <laughs> violently solve that particular problem. Uh, but um, of course, Iceland was discovered because someone didn't have anything better to do or, or they, they wanted to go there and and uh, Greenland was well it's it's wrong to say discovered but because unlike Iceland there were actually people living there already yeah. but, but 
it was a guy who was exiled from Iceland, and so his options was basically, okay, I need to find another place to live. Um, and, of course, uh, fishermen and explorers probably knew about, or at least had seen, um, uh, Greenland before that, so he did have an idea of, of where to look. Um, and one thing that I actually do like that they mention is that... Um, that that when you when you go sailing you can sail uh, basically across the Atlantic to to northern North America uh, and and you can you can keep sight of land for most part of the journey um, yeah and and that is of course due to to uh, refraction and, and stuff like that that makes you able to see um, the light uh, refracting through the atmosphere so you can see land even though it's really really far away uh, but also because if if you look at a map and, and you go kind of like Norway, Faroe Islands, Iceland, Greenland, Newfoundland um, then, yeah. then it's it, it's really not that far uh, and it can be done because um, just a few years ago there was a bunch of, of crazy Swedes and, uh, and other Scandinavians who built a Viking ship uh, and they sailed uh, to uh, to the U.S. and and to to the Americas. Uh, unfortunately, did they get all the way to New York? Yeah, and and down south um, the coast as well. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, I, I, I remember you telling me about. Yeah, that. <laughs> I, I couldn't be with it because I had to. Uh, I had to be a grown up and actually work then. But but they they oh. did it. Um, I, I when I was in Norway a couple of years ago, I, I did get the opportunity to actually row a Viking ship and. And it was really cool. Um, yeah. One one thing though that uh, they they could have mentioned uh, when it comes to the because they they do mention Viking navigation and that they uh, navigate through uh, through stars. Uh, mostly they use the North Star. But what what Vikings also had is two objects, um, and and one of them I can't really remember the name of, but it's it's basically a sundial. Uh, and and you you uh, it's um, it's a round disc with with a handle underneath and uh, basically a peg uh, on top, uh, and it's marked all around the, uh, the edge. So it's it's not really a compass because it it's doesn't work like that. But um, if if I remember correctly, and this was a long time when I read about this, is you you look at the shadow of the sun. Uh, hitting the edge of um, uh, or, or, or he, uh, at, at specific times a day at the same time a day yeah. during many days you look at where the shadow of the sun is and then you can draw a line on on the disc and that kind of tells you where you are if you know where to mm. what you're looking for and and the second one is is a bit bit more um, legendary or mytho- mythological and it, it's it, it's the uh, sunstone which yeah. was supposed to be something used um, when when there was uh, heavy clouds or uh, or a lot of fog, and it was uh, um, a stone, most likely some sort of quartz or other crystalline um, uh, um, rock. You should probably ask your wife about this, uh, but you you could use it, and you could look through the fog, and then you could. Uh, wh- when the rock would catch the sunlights and 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 kind of focus them, you could see, know where the sun was and you could um, you could navigate through that. So so that's 
just I don't know if it's actually useful in a, in a kind of role playing scenario, but I, I'm just gonna point it out there because yeah. it's it's the kind of stuff I like. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, they also mention uh, Braggs, uh, you know, uh, which has given rise to the English word bragging and uh, the Norse god of um, uh, poetry and uh, music and thing was called Brau. So that's where the word bragging comes from, and that was that was an important thing, and, and it's nice that they that they uh, acknowledge it um, that in in Norse culture, uh, bragging and showing off was really important, and and also showing off with showing your wealth, and it's kind of funny um, if you want to um, compare Vikings to any kind of modern day people in that regard. I'm thinking rappers. Rappers yeah. who who yeah. rap who rap about how wealthy they are yeah. and how badass they are and show off their bling and their swag with chains and everything. I mean, if Vikings lived today, they would get grills if they had the money for it because you needed to show off your wealth and you needed to tell everybody just what a badass you yeah, were. Yeah, they they um, would be the ones with the gold plate today case. Um, exactly. So e- uh, even so, though. Um, it's Norse or Viking weapons were usually uh, quite simple in in the ornamentation because most weapons were because you're supposed to be able to use them. Uh, yeah. So, but but yeah, that's that's a, a really like that uh, that kind of imagery with with the, the Viking, yeah. uh, and and also kind of on the same, um, uh, not literally on the same page, but kind of the same vein. Uh, is that they they're talking about uh, the the feuds and the blood feuds and what I oh, what yeah. I did like is that they bring up that that yeah you can't just go around killing everyone who insults you because then there won't be anyone left but that there is it, it is a way to keep society together like you know that if you go around acting like an asshole then not only you are going to be taken <coughs> care of, but most likely your your friends and family as well. So yeah. even if you don't care about yourself and you don't care about you, your friends and family are going to make sure that you behave because they don't want to end up in a blood feud. Exactly. Uh, one last thing I think we should quickly mention before we get to, to the equipment part is they talk about... Um, Viking attitude towards sex and homosexuality, and they had an attitude which is obviously um, different from the one that that uh, we have today, or at least civilized people have today, because <coughs> they um, had this very stereotypically manly idea that uh, you should not, as a man, be the um, the passive part of uh, a sexual encounter so for example if you were a viking if you're going a viking and you raided someplace and you raped another man that wasn't actually a problem but if you were let's say the catcher instead of the pitcher that was a problem and that was actually one of the gravest insults you could level at someone uh, amongst men in viking society was saying to someone that they uh, engaged in or desired to be the passive part of a homosexual relationship, um, so so for them that was the bad. Uh, that was what they thought of as bad in homosexuality. Uh, whereas obviously today we we know that there's absolutely nothing wrong with with any form of, of homosexuality. So I just wanted to mention that this is what what they had. And if you're playing a game, you should probably 
um, talk with your players as to whether or not you want this aspect to be involved yeah. in the game or not. Yeah, and and on the same topic, well, uh, they they also mention um, or or they they touch upon the subject of of uh, uh, basically cross dressing or or transvestism, uh, yeah. and what I find interesting is that that wasn't necessarily seen as a problem. For example, you have you have Loki who at and it's a long story, so don't don't really ask why. But he needs to dress up as a female horse to lure away another horse, and he obviously has sex with it because he gives birth to to Sleipnir, Odin's eight-legged yeah. horse. Um, <laughs> that's one. That's one of my favorite stories. Yeah, and and both Odin uh, and and Thor, especially Thor, at one point uh, dress up like women, and it's it's not yep. it's not seen as like oh look, it's funny because. Thor is dressed like a woman. It's it is quite a humorous story because uh, Thor has lost his hammer and he needs to get it back, um, and and so to get it back from the from the giant who stole it, the giant the giant says, is it is it Freya he wants? It's probably Freya. It's it's Freya he wants to marry because it's always Freya yeah, they want to marry. Freya is is uh, the hot the, one. Yeah, well, <laughs> one of them. She she's the. Um, She's the goddess of, of fertility and, and uh, po- sex positivity and also warfare in some versions. So uh, yeah. beware, beware of the Viking ladies. Uh, but so so uh, Thor has to dress up as, as Freya to, to be married. Uh, and again, it's, it's, it's not seen as something bad that he has to do it. If, if anything, it's, it's kind of like that he has to engage in subterfuge and deception because Thor as a person as a character he he's the kicking the doors murder hoboing everyone yeah uh, and and then ask questions uh, uh, but he can't do it because he lost his hammer and in some version he also lost um uh, a belt a magic belt that gives him strength uh and so he has to play along for a while and and then when he finally finally gets his hand on the hammer during the wedding he he goes ape shit and and slays all the oh, guys. Yeah. Uh, so so dressing up as a woman not really a problem. Um, so uh, and of course being a woman you had you had a lot of, of legal powers and uh, and and standing in society and you could ask for a divorce for a bunch of reasons uh, that you couldn't, including impotence. Yeah. my husband can't give it to me. I'm getting a divorce. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, that's that's. A few aspects of, of sexuality and, and the look of sexuality on uh, yeah on it and and at the same time we mentioned Frey and there's a bunch of other gods and and you talked about it as well that they could have more have more information about the other gods um, especially the fact that they they only mention three male gods so throw in Freya there for example or, or Frigg the the wife of Odin uh, because yeah, all of them Udun, have, the goddess of they are all of, really uh, important in, in Norse mythology yeah yeah Udun, the goddess of the apples all of those mm. could be could be interesting yeah. uh, then we come to a section on Viking equipment and I think we're gonna have to spend a bit of time on yeah. this I'm, I'm um, just gonna so, go and get some more water hold on for two seconds okay. And two. 
Yes. So we start with swords and daggers, and right off the bat, Vikings didn't use daggers. They used, used something called a sax, S-E-A-X. In the early and high Middle Ages, a dagger is a double-edged symmetrical blade, mainly used for stabbing, though it can cut. Obviously, later they, they then uh, changed, uh, changed shape. Uh, a sax is generally single-edged and asymmetrical, though... Uh, they do get the length right at 8 to 12 inches. Um, just out of curiosity, I measured my sax and the blade is exactly 11 inches. Nice. Um, they, they also get it right that the sax was as much a utilitarian tool as a weapon and that almost everyone carried one. Uh, however, it wasn't a thrusting weapon. It was what is uh, technically called a hewing knife. It was used for uh, heavy cuts rather than, than thrusts and it was a symbol you carried to show that you were a free man or woman who could carry a weapon, even though it was mainly used as a, as a tool. But you had to show, look, I have this because I am free and free men and women can carry a weapon. Uh, so, so calling it a dagger is a bit of a misnomer. Yeah, um, and, and speaking of, of daggers, there, or there, I'm just looking through this again and there are so many things. Like, first of all, uh, a double-edged blade of any kind is pretty worthless as a tool because and and i was playing around with with one of my daggers and it's it's a later german style dagger but but anyways it's it's double-edged and one of the reasons why you only want a single-edged on yeah a single-edged on on a working knife is because then you can use your other hand to press down or, or grab the, the the actual blade uh, yeah you, you can, can even really baton it if, if you need it's to. sharp on both both sides yeah um, they, they also mentioned that, that blood grooves on the blade are unknown. Oh, uh, and oh, first of all, it's, uh, yeah. it's a fuller, but uh, Viking swords did have fullers. They're, they kind of shallow. All of them had fullers. Uh, because uh, they, the, the blade is quite wide. Uh, and, and they also say that, um, contrary to popular belief, swords of this sort do not have a razor-sharp edge. Well, not, not really, but... But swords, swords did not have razor-sharp edges until you get into the era where you have no metal armor. Because if you have a razor-sharp edge on a sword and you uh, encounter metal armor, then you're going to ruin the edge. You don't want one that is razor-sharp. You want one that is yeah. sharp, but not razor-sharp. Yeah, and, and of course, you you really shouldn't be aiming at the armor anyways. Like Aim aim for the parts where where people are yeah. armored but but yeah it's it says that uh, the the blade is beaten into a chisel like edge so that uh. it can hack through armor no you can't because you can't hack through armor that's what armor is for well if you're if you're fortunate enough in the viking age if you had a a frankish steel sword and your opponent was wearing early iron mail, you might be able to get through it, but that's uh, uh, an edge case. Yeah, and, uh, and that's not something that happens a lot. You can damage someone through a, a chainmail because it's it just it makes it blunt force trauma basically. Yeah, but but you you don't need again you're not you're not cutting or hacking through the armor. You're you're no. impacting the armor, and then it the the energy goes into the body. Um, exactly so so yeah and and i do have some kind of of like methodological um, um input as well like like for example that um they they do mention that iron weapons have a tendency to to lose their edge in combat anyways and and yeah but like we mentioned they, they weren't really 
made for that. They do talk about a bit about pattern welding, and I do like oh, the yeah. fact that they use the word pattern weld and not Damascus, because yes. uh, Damascus steel is um, also known as Woots, if I pronounce that correctly, W-O-O-T-Z. That's the way I've heard it pronounced. I don't know if it's correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there was a, a completely different... There was... Um, Probably what? Oh, what's it called? When when you actually? It's crucible steel. Yeah, crucible steel. Uh, Thank you. Crucible steel from uh, from India and the area surrounding that. Yeah. So so that that's a completely different thing. But I do like the fact that they use uh, pattern welding, uh, and of course the the point of pattern welding is is that you take high quality uh, metal and lower quality metal, and then you mix it about so that uh, so, so that you you kind of like equal it out, so you you get. Uh, you 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 basically water down the good material you have with good enough material. Uh, yeah, so so, so, so that, that you, you have a functioning weapon enough. in the end. Um, yeah, but but they also sorry. yeah. Well, no, uh, go I'm, ahead. I'm just um, going back to what you mentioned about Frankish swords. That that um, a lot of uh, e- even back at this time, you you did have uh, manufacturing centers all over Europe where were basically. Um, Naked sword blades were exported yeah. uh, to different parts, and, and not only sword blades, but but weapons in general were exported to uh, to other parts of um, of Europe, and and they would be finished off locally. So so you could have a blade with with a, a so-called Viking handle uh, that would be the same kind of blade that um, an Englishman or or a Frank would use. Uh, yeah. So, so it's it's kind of cool it, that when you look at it, how globalized, in lack of a better word, or at least Europeanized um, society was back then. That and, and we touched upon it previously or earlier that yeah. you had these trading routes, so you could get uh, you you could get amber from northern Europe, and you could get uh, 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 German steel and uh, silk from uh, from Asia, uh, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, they also say with the swords that um, swords were very rarely engraved or ornamented, but swords were the most expensive weapons. And as we mentioned, Vikings were really into showing mm-hmm. off. So if you could afford a sword, you could afford to have it decorated. Now, they didn't go all uh, crazy like you see some swords later with uh, gems on them and, and whatnot. Uh, but but they uh, most swords had uh, a good amount of, of, of decoration. So... Um, Sorry, yeah, yeah you no, want to say I'm just saying that, like you mentioned, you you didn't really have the the jewels and stuff like that because again, yeah. you needed to be able to to use it as as an actual yeah. weapon. Uh, so again, runes were quite popular. Uh, there was um, a, a famous sword maker called Ulfbert uh, who signed his uh, weapons, and most likely he was a master who overseeing uh, a bunch of. Um, uh, of apprentices, yeah, of apprentices making the swords, and and what's interesting about the Ulfbert swords, I think they're supposed to be from around 1000 AD. Uh, but yeah, don't quote yeah. me on that. But it, no, I'm I, I'm fairly certain as well because I did a bit of research yeah. into them for a book I wrote. I think that's about the timeline. Yeah, uh, and they think it might have been in Norway, but they're not 100 percent sure. Yeah, but but the funny thing about it is that they they there are fake Ulfbert swords. Yeah. So. Uh, it was a, a maker who was famous enough to to basically have people pirate copy his work, and you can tell that they're fake because the name Ulfbert is misspelled. 
yeah um we could i i i'm thinking we could probably do quite a bit on on Ulfbert swords but uh i think this episode is going to be long enough without it uh the next we have is war axes and throwing axes and they do a job good job here mentioning bearded war axes which were popular for their ability to hook onto the side of ships and opponent shields or even hook limbs yeah. they could have made a distinction between one and two-handed battle axes because uh while two-handed battle axes Dane axes were rare. They were more common than they were later in in the Middle Ages. But otherwise, you know, no complaints there. Yeah, I'm I'm just gonna uh, go, going to mention that they mentioned that early axes were a little more than hammerbacked farming tools. A hammerback, that's a bit yeah, weird. Yeah, and and later on they're also mentioning have like having either a hammer or a spike on the opposite ed- uh, end uh, from the axe blade, uh, and and even a a forward pointing spike which that's that's like 1500s uh war axis that's the yeah, axis yeah the that earliest we... i the earliest uh axe that i know of with a, a back spike and i know of this because there's a, a guy who makes replicas and i really want one hmm. is uh from sweden and it's from the early 14th century yeah. but it's absolutely gorgeous hmm. Um, after that comes spears, and they're quite correct in saying that most warriors know how to use a spear. It really was the most common weapon among Vikings, used one-handed with a shield or two-handed if you ended up without a shield or were actually so poor that you couldn't afford a shield. Yeah. And just as the texts say, hurled spears were the primary ranged weapon of the Vikings. Mm. Um, I'm a bit sad that they don't mention winged spears, but that's just because I absolutely love winged spears. I, I think they're gorgeous. Yeah. I'm I'm just going to point out that the early broad-headed spears uh, are often used solely for hurling. You don't really want a big, heavy spearhead on no. something you want to throw because that's going to make it harder to throw. But but yeah, I I do also like the fact that they mentioned spears uh, and and one uh, because spears are an excellent weapon because you can keep the enemy quite far away from you, which is a good yeah. place to have your enemy. Uh, and it's pretty easy to use, so you, yeah, you can quickly yeah, you, pick you up how to use a spear. It. It's it's not that if if you played pool, you can use a spear. Um, but <laughs> but one one interesting aspect of of Viking warfare uh, that we we should talk about is uh, is the fact, and and also one of the reasons why why swords and axes uh, were quite popular is because a lot of of the at least the Viking exclusive warfare. Is is more basically like raiding, and so so yeah. if if you come sailing or most likely rowing in in a, a drake, and then you jump off the ship, and then you need to wade ashore uh, and kill a bunch of of monks and and steal their fancy uh, goblets and stuff like that, you you don't really want a, a really long spear, for example, so so an axe. Uh, and a shield is uh, is probably better, especially since yeah. if you're going to be wading through a few feet of water, you probably don't want too much armor to weigh you down. And a shield is a very good substitute uh, for lack of armor. Uh, oh so, yes. So, you, like the, the the Vikings, as we think of them, are are light infantry, basically light raiding infantry. You go in, you yeah. hit really hard. And then you get the fuck out of there before the opponents can mount any sort of of uh, organized defense, because then you're going to be at an, uh, a disadvantage because you probably couldn't arm armor up as much as you wanted to, um, 
and um, and you would be in in smaller groups, so you couldn't yeah. you couldn't really form up if if you met really organized resistance. Yeah, and and we see this that of course the the Vikings were able to fight in formation and shield walls, and we see this at at Hastings and previous battles as well. Uh, yeah, but uh, what what we do see is that when people start organizing and and building fortresses and and being prepared for for the Viking raids, then then the raiding <laughs> raiding kind of stops because that's that's when Vikings can't really do anything and and they also had a big problem with with sieges and stuff like that because you can't really bring a bunch of of siege siege engines on on a Viking ship because you don't really have that much space for them. Um, no, I mean the end of the Viking Age was pretty much predicated by fortifying cities yeah. and by more uh, centralization by uh, local lords uh, becoming powerful enough to field standing groups of soldiers that could threaten the Vikings mm. if they tried to uh, to invade. And all of a sudden, the raiding lifestyle just it wasn't as possible as it had been before. Yeah, and and also a lot of the the goals of uh, of the Viking raids or the Viking expeditions had kind of been met because you wanted yeah. a new place to live and you got Normandy and you got England and York because everyone wants York um, <laughs> and and so on and so on. I, I read somewhere um, that York is one of the most conquered cities in England. Um, and if you played the the old uh, board game Britannia, where which is oh yes, you you play the different uh, peoples, the the factions that that invade uh, from like the the Celts and the Romans up to and including um, 1066. Uh, at some some point or the other, everyone wants to conquer York, <laughs> which I just find funny. Uh, but but yeah, yeah we, you you got your place to live, and and so you. You didn't really need to go Viking anymore, and and of course society changed. Like you mentioned, it was more difficult. Um, mm. So uh, so after spears, they mentioned hammers, and I have to say, I've never found any mention of hammers used as weapons, either in close combat or throwing weapons, in the Viking Age. Uh, that is other than than Thor, but you know that's mythology. However, in the more mystical world of darkness, some fanatic Thor might, worshippers might decide to use a hammer, but I haven't found any evidence in real life that that hammers were were used by Vikings. No, and and one of the reasons is that you really don't need to because the kind of armor that a hammer would be really effective against hasn't really shown up yet. Exactly. Uh, so I, I think also if if we look at it from a religious point of view, is that the reason that that Thor and his hammer uh, is kind of iconic and and strange is because he's the only one who uses it. It is a mythological weapon because who else would use a hammer, which is a heavy object yeah. as a weapon, except for this very strong god who is uh, becomes even stronger by wearing his magical belt. Um, yeah. And of course, he's fighting giants who are giant. Uh, and it's mentioned that he often aims for the head Um because that's yeah, skull crushing. Because if you want to break someone's skull, then a hammer is um, is quite a useful tool. Um, and and if we want to go on another expedition, um, like like uh, you you have um, you have the Slavic god Chernobog, uh, who, if I'm not mistaken, the, the the word Cherno means dark or black. So we have yeah. Chernobyl, which means the black lake or uh, or bog. 
so you have Chernobog, which is the black bog, and you have his opposite, Bielobog, um, sorry for the pronunciation, which is the white or the light god, same same kind of dual aspect. Uh, but Bielobog, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Chernobog, he, uh, he kills uh, people with a hammer usually. Um, so so I, I'm wondering if it might be some kind of connection to that. But... Yeah, well, you know, if, if you look at, at the Slavic gods and the, and the Scandinavian yeah. gods, there are definitely some, uh, some overlap also with, with Perun, their sky god, and things yeah. like that. Uh, but but that, is, that is comparative religious studies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, but we end... our, our point is, is that the hammer of Thor is a mythological weapon for, yeah. because it's a hammer it's it's a weird weapon of choice which makes it a suitable mm. choice for a god or as you mentioned uh, a fanatical worshipper of that god yeah we end the weapon section with the bow and they are a bit dismissive of bows used in combat as opposed to hunting and yes throwing spears were more popular but vikings did use bows in war too uh, but nowhere near as much as later medieval armies. It would more be that they would bring bows along, and if, if they actually uh, knew that they were going into battle, they would shoot off some arrows, those that had bows, at long range, and then the bows would be put away. They they didn't, as the text mentioned, use massed uh, bowmen, uh, as was, was the norm uh, later, though later it was pretty much more crossbows until the... Um, until the English war bow made it to um, to the European continent. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, bows were more for hunting um, than than for warfare, the, the, uh, there or at least for raiding. There are some famous uh, famous mentionings of uh, of uh, the usage of bows in warfare in uh, in some of the sagas and the historical events as well. And I I can't remember who's fighting who, but it's it's a large sea battle actually between I think it's the Swedish people on one side and Danes on the other, or if it's Norwegians, like probably. Yeah, and, <laughs> we and, fought each other so many times. And and the losing side, uh, they they have a famous, um, a really big, strong guy who who uses a very strong bow, uh, and at one mm. and and he's be he's able to to hold off the enemy uh, by shooting them with arrows. But at one point, um, his uh, his bow uh, breaks, and so he asks uh, his king. Uh, that quick, give me your bow so I can keep on defending us. Um, but the the king's bow is so weak, so it's it, it basically <laughs> breaks in his hand, and that causes them to lose the battle. Uh, mm. I have no idea of the historicity of of that description, but it's again, it's it's a mention of of bows in battle. Um, yeah. So uh, after weapons, we have armor, and we start with furs and leather. And we have mentioned before how thick fur clothing can be quite decent armor. As for leather, that is a long discussion, yeah. and I won't get into it here. But I will say there is some evidence that Vikings might have used a kind of leather lamellar armor, but it is a very contentious subject, so so I don't I don't want to start the whole discussion here. Uh, next is chainmail, which should really just be mail, but I'm not going to belabor the point. I'm okay with people saying saying chainmail because it's become so common. Uh, we see a few pictures in the book where people are wearing kind of a short poncho of mail that does not protect anything but the shoulders and possibly the upper torso which is weird but the, the description here is pretty good mm. it does say bernie or hauberk of chainmail, but a hauberk is a later suit of mail which is longer than a bernie which was really kind of uh, of t-shirt sized yeah, yeah, um, a long so, T-shirt going down to your thighs about. And and again, if you're wading yeah. through two or three feet of water, you don't really want that uh, a heavy chainmail dragging you down. Or 
Exactly, and, and when you're using a shield, uh, your arms are protected anyway, especially the way Vikings used their shields. Both of their arms were actually protected mm. uh, because they didn't attack outside the yeah. shield, um, so they didn't need the, the long sleeves. Yeah. Um, they It also mentions heavy padding under the, the mail, but the Vikings didn't wear a gambeson under their mail. They would either wear furs when it was cold or a woolen shirt in the summer. So the heavier padding was something that came that came later. Yeah, they, they most likely had some kind of padding underneath because as, as we mentioned, and, and if you look at the Scholar Gladiatoria channel on YouTube, you would know that uh, that heavy woolen clothes can be actually quite useful to at least mitigate some of, of the blows from, from weapons. Uh, so, so yeah, you would probably pack up a bit, bit again, get rid of the short-sleeved shirts and, and put on something proper underneath because yeah. if nothing else, it's going to help against chafing. Um, and, yeah. and if you don't have a padding underneath your chainmail and, and you get hit with a sword or, or more likely an axe, uh, even if the, the weapon doesn't break the armor, you can still have these quite unpleasant um, occasions where where you would basically drive the rings into your flesh. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, since so they, you really they were didn't something have underneath... antibiotics and stuff like that back then, you're you're gonna even if you survive, yeah. you're gonna be uh, in a world of hurt. Yeah. So what they had underneath was was some kind of padding, but just not the heavy yeah. kind of padding that you see in the exactly. later uh, in the later times. Then there is uh, helmets, and they mentioned that no Vikings did not wear horned helmets. So points for that. Yeah, Yay. but yeah, uh, I, I was I was just about to ask you to to read the the first sentence of of that paragraph on helmets, uh, and then go back to the first page, the very first cover page of this book. Uh, big, yeah, where where you have where you have someone with horns on. Yeah. Um, so so as a, there there's a tip for for you um, for your authors there that that. Speak to your creative team and, and to your artists so that they, they have at least read some of the book because otherwise it's going to be quite contradictory. Yeah. Um, the text mentions uh, that the Viking helmet was a round pot helmet. Uh, it's called a Spangel helm. Uh, but um, you can't really tell from the text, but it wasn't made from one piece of metal, but rather from anywhere from four to eight pieces of metals that metal that was then riveted together. Um, and then it often had either what, what is uh, uh, usually called spectacles, like these guards, cheek mm. guards that go under the eyes and or a, a nasal strip. Nasal strips were ra uh, rarer than, than spectacles. Um, and it was a pretty damn good helmet. Uh, but then uh, in, in 1066, the Normans um, started uh, using a, well, probably before 1066, but we see it on the Bayeux Tapestry, mm. uh, the uh, the nasal helm, which was made of one piece of metal. Um, I should mention that we have a total of one fully preserved Viking helmet, um, so so we don't have that many uh, things to go from, but 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 still, we, we know pretty much how it looks. Yeah, and, and when it comes to, to helmets, and, and this is where Scandinavia gets weird, because in, in most places you have like what is it? You you have antiquity, and then you have the Dark Ages, and then you have the Middle Ages, and then you have the Renaissance. Yeah. Uh, in in Scandinavia and especially Sweden, you have a few like you have the Viking Age or Viking era that comes in. But in in Sweden, you also have the Vandal period, which is about from yeah. 400 to 600, um, and uh, it's also really close to where I live. 
um, and and they found this um, this very decorated helmet, which is different from the one Jacob is talking about, uh, and it also has um, facial coverings, uh, and it it's um, in in some ways it's more similar or of helmets from the Vandal period are in some ways quite similar to to some of the Roman helmets with cheek guards and stuff like that, but yeah, mm. so so. Um, it probably doesn't matter in a vampire game, but if you go looking on pictures on online um, and and you care about this stuff, make sure that that you get the time period right and, and see what they are, because there are some uh, so-called Viking helmets that are actually from the Vendel period. Um, yeah. And so, and and the the helmet that you mentioned, I think it's from Norway, isn't it? So I can't um, remember uh, off the top of yeah. my head, but I just know that there's that one. Uh, complete helmet and everything else is just uh, scraps that, yeah. that have been found. So, um, incident, if you want to see helmets with horns on them, we have two in the National Museum of Denmark. They are bronze, mm. they're from the Bronze Age. The horns are also bronze and they are so big that if you wore them, uh, you, you, you know, you wouldn't be able to move fast enough. So they're not uh, war helmets. They actually look a bit like uh, the kind of helmet that Loki wears in the Marvel yeah, comics yeah, exactly. with those yeah. huge horns. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and like you mentioned, uh, those were for ceremonial purposes. And most yeah. likely, uh, or, or a common theory is that they're for religious reasons. Uh, then, yeah. then again, I've, I've, I've learned from my... Uh, archaeologists friends that if if you find something and you can't really figure out what it's for you you say that it's, it's well, for it's, religious purposes yeah, it's, it's religious <laughs> it's it's for this uh, cult purposes uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, and finally, we have shields. And while it's true that they were circular and made from cut lengths of wood, as the text says, they were not held together by a bolted-on metal rim. Metal rims of either iron or copper alloy were quite rare, as Vikings didn't expect shields to last, so it would be stupid to spend that much money putting uh, metal rims on it. There were shields with metal rims on it, but that were that they were rare, and that was shields for very, very rich yeah people. These shields, they were not strapped to the arm as is shown in a lot of the pictures in the book, but they were held uh, by a hand in the center. Uh, you had a handle in the center and, and you held it in one hand and the hand was protected by a metal shield boss uh, on the shield. The rim was usually covered in leather, rawhide or heavy cloth which held the shield together along with the boss and then glue. They actually mm. glued the shield together. The face of the shield was also covered in either fabric or leather and then painted. Uh, and the shield was used quite differently from how uh, the kite and heater shields that were strapped to your arm were used in, in later medieval periods. Um, but, but yeah, and, and, and shields were, were very, very common. Uh, the first thing you got was a weapon, then you got yourself a shield, then you got yourself a helmet, then you got yourself either a better weapon or a suit of mail armor, so uh, you 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 would all all Vikings would have a shield, unless they were incredibly poor, and then they probably wouldn't go a Viking. Yeah, exactly. So after weapons and armor, we have ships, and since you're the sailor of the two of us, I wanted to hear what you have to say about those. Yeah, well, again, except for the the weird spelling of of knad, then the description uh, is uh, is quite apt and, and suitable. And I mentioned they clinker built. 
ship, uh, and, and they explain it that it means that the planks of the, the hull overlap, uh, which made the hulls uh, very flexible and uh, also shallow drafted. So, uh, so you could you could more or less uh, run your ship aground um, when when you're going raiding, uh, jump off. Um, so uh, as close to shore as you could, go in, uh, mm. push your ship out, uh, and go uh, go back out to sea. Um, what's What's good to know about these kinds of ships is that they're, they're um, unless they're really big and purpose built, they are open decked. You you don't really have any yeah. cabins or or anything like that. So uh, so it's um, it's not unusual that you see that uh, they're basically. Not not tent, but but kind of like a tent roof or a, um, some yeah. some kind of roof temporary being being put up uh, when people are sleeping, um, and and of course it's it's also a quite common sight to show that you have the shields hanging on the side of the ship, uh, which again we don't really know about if they did it or if they did it when and why they did it uh, in some occasions you show vikings who go raiding uh have their shields on on the sides which kind of defeats the purpose because you need your shield when you attack uh, and so mm-hmm. there's one theory is saying that if if the shields are up on the side then you're there for peace peaceful purposes you kind of show that okay i've, I've taken my shield which is my defensive weapon and i've displayed it for you so that you know that i yeah. don't have it ready um, but this, as far as I know, all of this is, is just speculation. Um, another thing that we should bring up uh, that they don't really mention in this book is, of course, um, the, uh, the the figureheads, uh, which is probably where ah, the yes. name Draker comes from, because you, you often had some kind of drake-like or, or snake-like um, uh, figurehead uh, in, in uh, the bow of, of the ship. Uh, and there are also a lot of, of speculations as to uh, how common these were and how uh, how and why they were used. Uh, a lot of um, uh, a lot of, of, of ships have uh, um, in in the aft they have um, the, the the kind of what's it called the stem of the ship kind of goes up into a yeah. curled kind of like. Some some people described it as as a snake-like tail, and that it should resemble the um, uh, the Midgard serpent. But I don't really uh, I, I don't really subscribe to that because it, it feels a bit forced. Uh, it's it's probably just that it looks cool. But uh, when it comes to the figureheads, uh, there are some theories that uh, you when you were traveling through. Uh, close to shore and especially in places where you hadn't been before you would have these kind of scary looking heads up to to scare away the land spirits uh, but yeah it's it it reminds me of how the orcs are described in warhammer 40k where, yeah. where when they have to travel through the warp they put big teeth yeah on their ship to scare away the demons, yeah, exactly. which is just so, uh, amazingly but, but funny. But what you did when you got out to the open sea is that you would take these down so that you wouldn't offend the spirits and the gods of the sea. Um, so, uh, b- because a lot of the times you they are depicted or, or being told as, as a w- uh, weapon of intimidation that, oh no, we see the... the uh, we, we, or, or you have you have pictures of 
of uh, Viking ships out in the open sea, and you have these big scary uh, figureheads. But most likely they weren't. They're they're most often removable, uh, so that if nothing else, if there's a storm or something coming in, it won't get in the way when you need to to steer the ship. And uh, of course, you're gonna get wear and tear from it, so you, you want to be able to. Uh, take it down when when you don't actually have a need for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've I've talked a bit uh, about um, uh, about the navigation uh, earlier and and uh, uh, the difference between a drake and a knar is that uh, knar are more for trading or exploration because they're a lot wider. They're still built basically the same. Uh, they they could have some kind of deck, but again more for stowing cargo underneath rather than than having cabins and stuff like that because the, mm. these kinds of ship are uh, are way too to uh, to low uh, basically or too shallow to to have any kind of um uh, any kind of of uh, cabin space basically um i i do like the fact that they they mentioned that there are uh, basically, yachts that uh, that that people can can go around in, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, the the Oseberg ship uh, in which is in a museum in Oslo, which is one of these preserved burial ships, and uh, from from what people can tell, it's it's not it's a very long and impressive and cool ship. Uh, but it's not really built for uh, for open for for the open sea. So so it's it's basically a coastal yacht that um, the queen in this case, please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, had to to basically sail around and show off and look look at my fancy boat. Uh, sounds about right. Uh, so so yeah, I, I like this chapter. Um, and yeah, they, they do mention the fiercely carved pro, uh, pro earning the nickname of Dragon Ship. But yeah, again, take it or leave it. Do what it what you want if you uh, if you play with it in your world of darkness. Yeah, uh, we end this one with uh, tools of the everyday life, and I really mm. love that they mentioned just how many tools have survived for personal hygiene, yeah. showing how much the Viking cared about their personal mm. appearance. Yeah, so so not only were, were combs are one of the most common items, but you also have like uh, pokey things that you you use to clean your nails. You have tiny tiny spoons that are used to to dig out your earwax and a lot of things like that. Yeah, tweezers for plucking your eyebrows. Yeah, uh, and plucking whatever. <laughs> uh, so so yeah. yeah, you you have a lot of everyday uh, items going around. Uh, and and kind of on the same topic, we we should probably bring out, or or I want to bring bring out jewelry. Um, you you have a lot of glass beads and amber uh, stuff were were quite popular in the, these times. Oh yes. Um, and also brooches uh, of of bronze or fancier metals, um, m- more common for women. But you also had these. Uh, Basically, safety pins. I can't remember the, the uh, word for them. Uh, is it yeah, I, I know what you were is talking about. Is that the word I'm looking for? Sounds about right. I, I can't remember, but I, I know what you're yeah, talking but, about. These but it's, yeah, it's, big, beautiful yeah, ones. Yeah, it's uh, well, they, they come in all shapes and sizes, but there there is one, and I think we actually watched it when we were in, in Denmark in, in uh, one of... I can't remember if it was the Museum of History or the Royal Armour, but it's... You you quite often use them to uh, to to fasten your your cloak, 
uh, and, yeah. and you have one that is like I think it's almost the and it's basically just a, a circle with a needle going through it and and there's one huge one made of silver with a bunch of uh, it has some gold details and the actual needle yeah that's in the national museum something like a foot long so yeah. again we come <laughs> back to this uh, the the, the hip hop bling basically because it's there's no way in hell you're ever going to be able to use that or or use it wear it in your everyday working or traveling or whatever but it's you show up at at a thing or at a, 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 a meeting with your enemies or whatever at the parlay and you have this huge ass uh, silver uh, brooch holding your uh, holding your cloak together then then people know that you you have the good stuff yeah, because it not only shows how much money you have that you can afford this, but it also it is also incredibly impractical. Yeah. So you say, look at me, I can walk around with something impractical yeah. because I don't need to work all the yeah. time. That's how rich yeah. I am. Um, so just before we move on, obviously when it comes to the personal appearance, I cannot uh, help but mention the letter uh, from an English, I don't remember if it's a priest or a nobleman, to the English king complaining about the Danish Vikings because they uh, came over to uh, England and they got all the women because they bathed once a week, they uh, brushed their hair, they combed their beards, uh, and they wore tons of jewelry and they were able to uh, recite a poem about the beauty of a woman at the drop of a hat. And, and there was the complaint that this got all the women. I can't, can't help but, but think, well, maybe, Englishmen, you should try uh, showering and uh, yeah. grooming yourself. But, but the Vikings, I mean, they, they, were, they were pretty boys. Yeah. And they wanted to be yeah, pretty boys. Uh, no, no mentions <laughs> from uh, Ibn Fadlan, who is uh, yeah. was an uh, Arab scholar and explorer. And how much of his of, of first hand first hand accounts he, he or experience with Vikings he actually had it's uh, it's up for debate. But he also describes how uh, the men would would uh, uh, basically use char basically use eyeshadow, uh, probably charcoal yeah. or something around the eyes. Um, so uh, and so basically, when you when you imagine a Viking man. You're not imagining like this this huge ass barbarian type, but imagine a guy with like long flowing locks and a well groomed beard and expertly applied eyeshadow and uh, gold and silver rings on their fingers, uh, ready to speak a poem about just how beautiful you are. Yeah, basically. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, a bit of a different look. We've talked a lot about. Viking culture and history and stuff like that, it's time to look at the vampires because chapter two looks at vampires, being a vampire among the Vikings, the geography of the north and sort of the, the Vikings in the different countries, each of the clans, how they would be in in uh, the north, how to story tell stories in Viking lands and so on. It's a short chapter, but it packs a lot yeah. of information into it. Do you want to start? Uh, well... Uh, I can I can start off with what I thought. Um, I think it could have used a bit more geography information, uh, mainly talking about sort of the the um, centers of civilization. The cities in um, in in Scandinavia at this time were tiny, but they could have mentioned places like um, Heitherbu uh, in Denmark, Uppsala in Sweden, uh, Nidaros in Norway, like these these centers where it would make sense that vampires would would focus on. Um, 
And and I I'm a bit annoyed that they say that Denmark is a small country because uh, back then as you, as you mentioned Denmark had a, uh, what a lot of what is today Sweden uh, and Sweden didn't go as far anywhere near as far north as yeah. it did uh, as it does today so Denmark is 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 almost as big as Sweden at this point yeah, yeah that's true <laughs> um, so uh, I I absolutely when it comes to vampires I love the depiction of the gangrel yeah. because here they are not these uh, animalistic savage uh, travelers and nomads uh, they have they have taken on the uh, civilization of the Vikings of the Norsemen and they the Norse were a lot more civilized than people used to give them credit for I think people are starting to realize just what a complex civilization there was in the north at this mm. time so I love that we have these Vikings who if you transported them further south uh, you had these you have these gangrels who if if they went further south People would probably think, oh, they must be uh, Ventrue or something yeah. like that, because they they are civilized. I love the idea of the La Sombra and the church versus the local Vikings. I think that that gives you a ton of ideas, uh, and I absolutely love what they've done with the set sites. They've yeah. where they say that there are like a few set sites they've come up there and they've grabbed onto local um, sort of snake lore. Uh, they they mentioned Jormungandr, uh, the Midgard mm. serpent. I think it would make more sense if they focused primarily on Nidhogg, uh, the serpent that gnaws at the roots of Ask Yggdrasil, the world tree, and tries to bring that down. Uh, but there's just so much inspiration here. And if anyone has ever read my um, Denmark by Night book, uh, I've, I, I have basically based the vampiric history of Denmark on how uh, it is described here with the La Sombra and the Gangra on the set sites and I, I really love what they've done they've managed to make it very very interesting and compelling yeah I, I agree with that uh, there, I, and I also agree that it would have been interesting to, uh, to have a bit more information uh, on, uh, on, on the geography and the lay of the land um, like for, for example they, they do mention Uppsala uh, and also the um, the the lakes the uh, the lake of of Malaren, which is uh, the the lake uh, where Stockholm is located, if you know where that is. Uh, but the what, one thing that it was very different uh, from from uh, now is that the the literal geography, because due to the ice age, you had uh, a lot of a lot of what is now very fertile um, farming lands or uh, especially around where i live uh, was underwater back uh, back in the day so for example the uh, the burial mound uh, from 1000 bc that i mentioned uh, that was actually probably on an island back then and that's probably why they put it there so that it could be seen um, from from a far distance and to show that this is where we put our dead king and and you also have uh, quite nearby uh, a hill fort uh, because you could sail ships uh, all the way up here even even back then so you would need places to defend uh, and and the the river that runs through Uppsala which is is very narrow nowadays it was uh, the Fyris river it's it was a very large river back in the Viking times and and the Uppsala of the day uh, is now what is called Old Uppsala. Uh, and for those of you who uh, are unfortunate enough to have seen the depictions of, 
of Uppsala in the series Vikings. Uh, you, you should probably know in in that series you would you would know then that it's depicted as as this huge foresty mountain or at least a very large hill uh, and you have a temple built on top of it uh, in in actuality uh, Uppland which is the uh, the county or the uh, uh, region where where Uppsala is it's very flat because again we you had you had like kilometers of ice pressing down of it so you have this yeah it, it almost it, it reminded me a bit of denmark yeah, yeah exactly so so it's a very flat plain and then again you have some uh, some hills uh but but again the, the reason why they built there because everything else was underwater so you could sail all the way up to Uppsala and uh, and even further and one of the reasons why they moved uh, the the actual city of Uppsala when when they moved it was because you could no longer go as far uh, by ship or at least not not with such big ships so and and since it was a center of trading you would then need another place to go and and then for political reasons you took the name of the city with you um, and so so yeah they would be fun to in- include a bit more of that and and of course there's there's really no no point in building your your huge fancy temple in the middle of a forest because no one would be able to see it e- yeah. even if you did build it on on a forested hill you would probably cut down the trees around it to display your huge cool um, f- thing that you built um, yeah but but yeah i i also like what they did with with the vampires in uh, um, in it uh, i i do like the fact that there uh, Norse Asamites uh, or uh, the, the clan of the Asamites are are kind of like well we're we we're feuding with with the Canites and since the Scandinavian vampires don't really have the same uh, mythology or mythos about Cain then there's really no reason for us to have a beef with them uh, so so that's an interesting take um, yeah they've managed to to really be inclusive of all of the clans Except. uh trying to to bring them in here and i think they've gone done a really good job of it in a way that don't make you go okay that was that was far-fetched no they they, they thought yeah, about it except for for my next point which are the ravnos because they they go oh. back to the uh to the gypsy 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 and um and india connection and and i'm thinking that if if you play the more like the trickster aspect of the Ravnos, y- you could definitely see like Loki worship worshiping Ravnos. Oh that, yeah, that would work perfectly fine. Um, yeah, I, I just tend to ignore the Ravnos in these early books. Yeah, yeah, that's probably for the best. But if you want to do something with it, um, I I also feel like the Ventru, uh, or at least the the classical, the old school Ventru would probably enjoy uh, Viking society quite a bit because you have the fighting prowess with the fortitude. You have the ability to, to really brag and boast with with presence if you need to. And, and you can dominate people at least to listen to your to your fancy poems and stuff like that. So, so uh, Viking Ventru, uh, even though it's a bit of a tongue twister, shouldn't really be out of place, and and I wouldn't mind seeing more of them uh, in it. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking the the Ventru are kind of like 
damn it, we got here too late. The gangrel have yeah, snatched up exactly. all the good uh, ones. We need to make uh, some new ones because we've got some really good leaders going on yeah. here. Um, I, I, I also want to mention a bit about the Tremere uh, and the the fact that the uh, they they for some reason they send Finnish or Lapish students to insinuate themselves among the Scandinavian vampires. These spies yeah, rarely last weird. more than a single winter before they are destroyed for the treacherous ways and black magical works. And and this is this is kind of a problem that exists with the way that especially the the Lapish or the Sami uh, people are described because they they are kind of like the the. The magical Negroes, if you excuse the word, but it's a trope. So, uh, or or the magical Native American Native uh, people of of Scandinavia, or at least they are sometimes uh, described that way. Which, especially in later times, it is problematic. So, if you if you're going to include this these shamanistic Samis, then read up because otherwise it it can go horribly wrong. Um, and, yeah. and from a geographical point of view, it's a bit difficult for 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 uh, someone coming from southern uh, Europe or, or from from the south uh, south of Scandinavia, because you would have to go beyond the the Viking so-called Viking areas to find the Lapish people and then send them down to to uh, to the more civilized for lack of a better word uh, areas so so it's a very strange way of, of going about and uh, and the Finns weren't really that different from from the rest of the Scandinavian culture as we we talked about already so yeah it's that, that, that's a bit yeah weird. what would make what would make more sense considering the Tremere uh, originated in Transylvania that was was where the the hermetic house mm. was centered yeah. if you had northwest from there you will eventually hit pannonia mm. uh which is today part of um of um yeah. poland and especially the danes but also the swedes had a lot of contact with uh the slavonic area yeah. there uh so so they would be a lot more welcoming i would think of of slavs from the pannonian area coming up because that would just be oh yeah we we know you yeah, guys yeah. uh we trade with you and and you raid us we raid you it's all fine yeah. rather than than for some reason sending sending fins over yeah uh, um, uh, and so. or, or even baltics would probably make more sense because then you would could just go in a straight line line from transylvania uh but yeah but, yeah you you bring up another topic that i would like to discuss and and if if you want to have a bit more, I don't know if you should call it a political aspect of the whole game, but uh, and, and that's the um, that's the aspect of of where the different Vikings would go a Viking, because as you mentioned, the the Danes and uh, uh, went to England, the Norwegians went to to Iceland, and Icelandic went to Ireland and stuff like that, uh, and a lot of the the Swedish Vikings went east down to. Um, like like you mentioned down to poland and they and then they would travel by the rivers down to Byzans, um which uh, they called miklagord which is now called istanbul uh, because it's not constantinople, not constantinople. Uh, so so you had you you had if you want to have like a difference between uh, danish vikings and swedish vikings it it would be that the the danish vikings most often went uh, went to the west and the swedish vikings went to the east 
Uh, and if, if nothing else, you can tell this by, um, I think the numbers are probably a bit off now, but when, when I grew up, the, the numbers that I called, because they've, they've found more of them since, but um, in, in all of Scandinavia, you, found, uh, you have found about 80,000 um, Arabic silver coins. Uh, 70,000 hmm. of these have been found in what is now Sweden. Uh, so, so you could really tell just by the amount of artifacts being brought back home from from that area of the world where people would travel, um, and and of course you have a lot of rune stones uh, which aren't burial markers or, or gravestones, uh, which they are sometimes described as, but they are more like uh, a, a memorial over people who have fallen. Like it's it's very often a relative to someone who who went the Viking, and it could be like uh, Eric who went east, and there he met the eagle, which means that he died. Uh, and uh, mm. his relative um, uh, raised the stone, and uh, o- also often the name of the person who carved it. Uh, yeah, because if you're carving a runestone, you damn well better put your own name in there so people can yeah. appreciate yeah. the effort you yeah, made. It's just good marketing. Like, oh, okay, who did this? Yeah. It's a really fancy stone. Oh, it's it's same same as with Ulfbert, basically. Um, so yeah. so again, if if you want to include this in your games, you could have that. In Sweden, there perhaps are more um, Ventruen or other uh, clans that are connected to uh, to that part of the world, uh, to, to the more Eastern Europe or Southeastern Europe. And in Denmark and Norway, you would have a stronger connection to, for example, the, the Gagrel of Mithras in England. Um, yeah. And, and just, just um, a final, and, and I think we're going to have to come back to, to this in a side quest. Uh, because the uh, and and we mentioned them before when we did Constantinople by night the um, the Varangian guards, which was basically Vikings yeah. coming down to serve, uh, and and the, um, the tradition of Scandinavians going down to serve uh, as mercenaries uh, that didn't start with the Vikings. So you had that for hundreds, literally hundreds of years before that, and quite often they served uh, in the Roman Empire back. Like this is the three four hundreds after uh, ad uh, after christ so so you have a lot of of finds uh, and like coins and and jewelry from the roman uh from the roman era found in in southern sweden and and if you're really interested in it and i won't be going into it too much now because that, that's a whole different episode uh, but there's a documentary uh in english and swedish a few swedish ones as well about the place uh, on the island of Öland called Sandviborg, uh, which is it's been described as the the Pompeii of of uh, Scandinavia because what happened was it's it was one of these ancient fortified settlements uh, from around 400 ish four five hundred A.D. Um, and then all of a sudden uh, at one point everyone was massacred. Uh, and what's interesting about that attack is that uh, all of the weaponry and all of the jewelry and the gold and even the livestock was just left to lie uh, as uh, w- where they were. So, so it wasn't about stealing wealth. It, it was about specifically murdering the people who lived there. Um, but <laughs> check this out because you could do something about it in a vampire setting. Um, and it, it's a really cool... Uh, documentary and story as well but it's it's a bit 
uh, too early for the Viking era, so I, I, I'm not going to linger any longer on that one. Yeah. Um, so chapter three is character creation, starting with some general talk about creating characters before we get to the rule sections. So any comments on the stuff uh, that is before the rules? Uh, no, not really. I think we've covered a, a lot of it before. It's it's a lot of yeah. how, uh, how society is, is put up and, and you have the... Um, uh, the the difference between uh, traders and and conquerors and stuff like that, which uh, yeah we we we've told you this already. So. Yeah, so we start the rule section with five new abilities, and some of them are a bit weird when you look at the abilities already uh, existing. We start with a uh, Sega Man. Uh, or Sagaman, or however you want to pronounce it, which allows you to compose and recite Viking poetry. Uh, and and at, at first I thought, hang on, doesn't that fall under other uh, abilities? And then I checked, and this is first edition um, Dark Ages, and they don't have expression and performance like they do in later editions. They have acting and music. So, okay, yeah. that it makes sense that if you want to compose and recite poetry, it doesn't really fall under those two things, and it is a very important thing in, in Viking culture. Mm. Um, then you have shipwright, which could have just been crafts. Yeah. Law is already a knowledge in the core book, so uh, it's, it's a bit weird that they have it here. Uh, and rune law could be covered by a combination of occult and hearthwise. Um, and then we have seamanship, which is okay since there's no other ability it could fit under, and yeah, uh, being able to, to, to sail also makes, makes sense when you're making a Viking character. So some of these... I felt were kind of redundant, really. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do like the fact that they included uh, seamanship as um, uh, as a, di- a separate skill because, if if nothing else, it it's something to it's something really useful if you want to go a Viking and 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 it's something separate. Like you mentioned, that some of the other skills could be covered by existing skills already, uh, and and that is something I I usually like that if if you can figure out how to do something with what you already have. There's no need for a separate skill. Uh, but in, in the case of uh, of seamanship, it's different enough to warrant it, its own skill. Yeah. Uh, and then we have fame as a new background. And I I don't know what to think of it. What what, what did you think of it? Because I was like... Yeah, I, I feel kind of the same. But it, it, it feels like it's... Um, it, it it's very much storyteller dependent and and setting dependent like in some cases it could be really really useful but in in other cases it's just gonna like depending on on what kind of campaign you're playing it could just be wasted uh, but yeah if, if you could find a, a good use for it then it's it's definitely a suitable background for for the viking era yeah uh we then have three new combo disciplines and i absolutely love one of them, which allows the user to go into voluntary mm. torpor and retain some yeah. blood for when they wake up, which is perfect for getting through long sea voyages, uh, an extremely short summer night in the north, and so on. So that one is just mwah, spot on. The other two are both combat-oriented, and they seem a bit boring to me, honestly. It's just, oh, you're a, you're better, you're, you, you can do more damage, you can take more damage, whatever it is. Yeah. Would have preferred some that weren't necessarily combat oriented. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, the, um, I I wouldn't mind seeing one kind of like being useful for navigation to find true north or something like that. Oh, uh, that but, would be but cool. But yeah, I, I also uh, um, 
notice the the wind ring as it's called the one where you uh, where you basically go into hibernation uh, which also is is very fitting because there's a lot of animals up here uh, I don't know about Denmark but at least in Sweden that go hibernating in the winter so uh, so yeah that's that's uh, quite fitting um, and and again it's it's something useful it's it's something that you could actually use for a journey. Um, and as you mentioned, the, the other ones are a bit combat oriented and yeah, doesn't cool if you want to, but you could probably do without. Yeah, I mean, sure, uh, it, uh, Viking vampires would probably learn how to be better warriors, but it's just, um, it, 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 it's, may, it's almost a bit um, stereotypical, yeah. I think, that, oh, they have these even better combat mm-hmm. powers. Uh, we then have two new roads via Einherjar which is sort of the Viking road of chivalry, and via Esiergath, which is their road of heaven. What did you think of these two roads? Yeah, uh, I'm. I, I wouldn't. I, I'm not going to say that they're bad because they're not. But but again, I I feel that you could probably do these with, like you mentioned, just just reflavor heaven and chivalry a bit, and you could do it. Uh, it, it wasn't something that popped to me like oh my god this is really cool or this is really viking or something um but um it um yeah it's it it works for for what they are uh what what's your opinion on them yeah exactly what you said it works for what they are i i think that is just the perfect description of it um one one thing that i i liked in the via asia garth was uh there's one that says that you're not uh, allowed to do is stealing from lying to or cheating friends and allies i love the fact that it says friends and allies everybody else screw them uh which (laughs) which is actually kind of nice uh but yeah i i think that they do a better job with um with the roads in uh in dark ages vampire in the second edition so when we get to that i'll i'll talk more about that because i think they do a really interesting uh, job with that then then there's merits and flaws uh, and they have some from the core book that are recommended and some that are prohibited and in most cases i i don't like the whole recommended slash prohibited uh, because it creates a bit too much of a stereotype there are some that make sense that they are prohibited because they relate to the christian feudal society uh, of the yeah. Middle Ages, and then yeah, we have we have some some new ones. Uh, are there any of the the new ones that you want to to mention that you uh, that stood out to you? No, no, not really. I I do want to say that I don't mind um, recommending uh, merits and flaws because as long as they're just recommendations, then you can take it or leave it, and it it could be used a bit as a creative tool to to get a feel for what they should be like. But I I don't know. It's it's uh, again, a lot of them are are kind of either really uh, really over the top. Like for example, the you can um, uh, the the true berserk merit. Oh, I have a story about yeah, that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or or you could um, uh, or or you could just do this by role playing, and uh, or or they are really. Uh, dependent on um, uh, on on you having a good storyteller and then fitting some of them like uh, having having a ship uh, either a, a drake or a knar is is kind of like can't you just do that with resources instead? Yeah, exactly. It's like well, well if you're rich enough, you could have a yeah. ship, or you could just talk to your game master and say, well, I would like my background to include that I have mm. a ship. 
Um, so yeah, I was thinking there's there's one that's called Vengeful Family where you your family is known for taking vengeance, and I was thinking. Given Viking society, it would make I would think it makes more sense to have a flaw that you don't have a family or that your family is not very vengeful, because in general it was expected in Viking society that your family would avenge you if anybody went against you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, then you have lupine kinship, where it's just our our my usual problem with them mixing mm. in uh, something from another. Uh, game line because they mentioned the get of Fenris and stuff like that. Um, then there is rune wise, where if you take this merit, you can buy uh, paths of sorcery. And yes, they this requires you to have another book, but I think it's an interesting way to incorporate magic without just adding more thematogy. So you take this merit, and then you can then you can buy these sorcery paths to represent Norse uh, rune magic and and spoke uh, craft and that sort of thing. Uh, so I'm I think this could be an interesting thing to do if you want to include a bit more magic, uh, but but don't want to rethread. Uh, thematology yet again yeah there is again you have the problem of of having to to mix different <laughs> settings or at least getting another book but but yeah that, that's yeah if you want to do a more supernatural stuff because face it rune magic was a big part of of uh, viking mythology uh, so so yeah you could if that's kind of your thing then yeah you, you should definitely do that yeah and then there's the true berserk that you mentioned, which uh, I, I have a soft spot for that for that merit. It's a five point merit, so so it's pretty expensive. I uh, and I played uh, a character who had that. Uh, we were playing the uh, the Chronicle under the Black Cross, which we'll get to in a couple of of books time. Um, and uh, the character that I created was basically a Viking. I think I'd recently gotten this book and I was inspired, so I created a Gangrel uh, who had th- he had this merit. And he had strength four, dex two, stamina four, and um, melee five, specializes in axes. And I think he might also have had the huge size merit. And he was just a beast in yeah. combat. And and under the true cross is a chronicle that involves uh, probably a bit more combat than most vampire chronicles. And this character just walked through enemies with no problem whatsoever and it was it was kind of fun also because obviously i i didn't just create a, a combat monster i i went into him being able to do poetry and and all that sort of thing but it was just uh th- this gave me a bit of a soft spot for this merit but yeah it it might be a bit overpowered even at five points yeah. if you are if if your chronicle involves uh combat so um, so chapter four is systems and contains a number of dif- different systems for things such as getting through the long, cold, dark winters and the relatively short summers, sea travel, uh, setting up a new colony. Uh, the colony one seemed a bit weird, not something I can see being used in a vampire chronicle, though if you want to use this book to play mortals or possibly even ghouls, then I think it can be used. One thing that I think lacked either in this chapter or one of the other chapters is I would have liked to see some supernatural creatures from uh, Viking mythology uh, because it I mean vampire is a supernatural game we know supernatural entities exist so it could be interesting to have like you mentioned before the Draugr uh, you could have maybe some some Jotuns or some uh, Tusa 
like creatures from Viking mythology. It could be interesting to either just have a quick description of them or even have some uh, some actual stats for them. Uh, but otherwise, I have no comments about this system chapter. Yeah, I, I agree with, with what you said. And uh, especially, again, a lot of this is uh, probably something that... Uh, oh god, I just scrolled past one of those Conan pictures again. But uh, <laughs> a, a lot of these are... Uh, Probably things that you could either just role play or that uh, a savvy storyteller could uh, be more or less figure out by themselves. But again, if 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 you want to to have a, a buy and play system and, and like, okay, I I don't want to have to figure this out by myself. Just gonna look in a, at, at the page in the book and and there we have it. Or or if uh, uh, if one of the player asks that, can I do this and how would I do it? And you can. You can refer to uh, just refer to the book and, and get it done with. So so uh, <coughs> as a tool, it's quite useful. Um, and and yeah. as you mentioned again, there are uh, the the chapter on um, uh, on uh, uh, colony colonization basic basically, which is um, uh, yeah, I, I agree that it's it's a bit weird for for a vampire game but uh, you could use it for for other things as well yeah uh then we have chapter five which is templates and other than the art being a bit more high fantasy than historic uh no complaints but there are only three templates so it's 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 not really much to talk no, about not really. yeah again we have the uh, the weird kind of like chainmail I, I don't want even gonna call it a poncho it's just a bit of chainmail draped over the shoulders of of the sea wolf uh, and he's got a weightlifters belt yeah exactly uh, and and the interesting thing is that the quote for for him is I swam in my burney from ship to shore to storm the walls of a castle if you think me a mere braggart step outside to settle the matter and I'm just gonna say that well you either forgot your Bernie, or if if the the kind of shoulder pieces that you wear, if if that's all you wore, then it's not really that impressive. <laughs> yeah, um, we end with an appendix of notable uh, Einherjar, uh, which mentions your hometown of Uppsala. Yeah, Uppsala has been mentioned quite a few times, which which I like. Uh, yeah, uh, but that's where the All High, uh, sort of the the eldest and most powerful Viking vampire. Mm-hmm. Uh, is 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 settled, which makes sense because it was really sort of the uh, the center of of um, a Viking religion yeah. in in the Viking yeah. age. So um, you, but otherwise, you know, they. Sorry, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just just Uppsala is is where they had had like the big temple, uh, and Vikings or, or Scandinavians and or Norsemen really didn't go on pilgrimages pilgrimages, uh, but what what they do was that. Uh, once every nine years, you would have a big celebration, basically a festival, festival, and and you would sacrifice the Odin, and that would take place in in Uppsala. Uh, and there was supposed to be this big tree where you would hang uh, not only animals or or uh, uh, but but also people. Oh, my phone is ringing. I'm just going to have to yeah, go and sorry. check it out. Sorry. So again, while Jacob is away, we can go back to our plan of world domination. Uh, so what I need you all to do is grab three pounds of salt uh, and a bit of butter. And f- I, no, I think it's coming. 
Um, so that was a spammer. <laughs> yeah, no. So, so you had this, you had this huge tree where you would, uh, where you would hang uh, the sacrifices. And uh, again, the, there are a bit of, of different uh, opinions on this, but uh, from from what I've been told, uh, or one of the theories is that um, Odin he himself uh, was hanged or he hanged himself from the world tree and he was also pierced in the side with his own spear uh, and if you know what happened to jesus on the cross you you are kind of familiar with the whole piercing in the side with a spear thing um, and he was also resurrected so again you have the whole kind of like steal the good parts from different religions um <laughs> but but yeah, so you would hang uh, the sacrifices, including human sacrifices, and not only thralls. Uh, sometimes you would have to sacrifice your chieftains or even kings. Uh, if if you had had rough winters or bad harvest, then it would kind of be the job of the king to sacrifice themselves for the good of the people. Um, but again, you would hang them to emulate um, Odin hanging off the world tree. Um, and so when Christianity came here, they uh, allegedly chopped down the tree if there were, was actually a tree uh, no one really knows uh, but they built uh, the church on basically on top of the old temple they would t- tear it down and, and build uh, build their uh, religious um, temple on on top of the the pagan temple um so uh, so yeah it was it was very much uh, realpolitik and and politics behind it and like i mentioned previously uh, when that church burnt down, it didn't fall into a swamp. It just burnt down. Um, you, you would move uh, when you were building a new church. You would move uh, it to a better place for trading purposes, and you would take the name with you. Uh, so yeah, Uppsala is is a bit of a thing, and there's a beautiful museum out there as well. Yeah, yeah, very much. Um, so yeah, uh, one of the the people that they mention is Arnulf Jormungandarson, and they actually do mention in in his write up uh, Nitok, mm. uh, the serpent that gnaws at the yeah. at the roots of the tree. So that was that was uh, really nice um, that that they incorporated that. So let us talk about this book from the perspective of our two criteria: mm. historical information and game book. Uh, Peter, why don't you start? Well, I, I would like to split the historical information into two parts and, and call it the <laughs> artwork and the actual information. Uh, oh, because yes, yes, as, yes. as we mentioned, the the artwork uh, is, is not... Again, it's it's not bad from an artistic point of view. It's just completely wrong for for this kind of book. Uh, and especially, like we mentioned, the, the text on Viking helmets specifically mention that Vikings did not have horned helmets. They didn't have winged helmets for those who were wondering that uh, as well. But then you have like a, a huge amount of pictures in the book of people wearing horned helmets. There are a few good pictures uh, as well, not only of, of people wearing proper helmets, but like I mentioned, the, the kind of um, the, the landscape pictures of, of what what the places look like and what the buildings look like are, are quite nice. Uh, so, so yeah, from from an artistic point of view, uh, it fails unfortunately. Uh, but the the actual historical um, or, or mythological uh, information as well, since it's a lot of it is about uh, religion and stuff like that, uh, I would say is is actually quite good, at least from from kind of like a, a 
a pop culture or, or a popular uh, historic uh, setting, it, it is quite uh, quite nice actually. Um, the the opening um, the the opening introduction was a bit stereotypical, kind of like it, it felt very Viking or as you mentioned, thirteenth warrior. But but overall, I I like this book. Um, when when I saw the cover. I thought I was going to be in for a bad ride, and, and I was pleasantly surprised of, of the quality of the research that they apparently have done. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I absolutely love this book. Historically, there are inaccuracies. We've covered mm-hmm. those, and there's some information that could have been included. But overall, I think it gives a lot of good and interesting information in quite a few pages. I'm surprised at how short the the book yeah. is. It is. Um, 101 pages so I think they pack a lot of stuff in there and it handled the integration of vampires with real world culture and history very well uh, as a game book well I don't see myself running a game set in Viking Age Scandinavia I did run like a 3 to 4 session game when this book first came out uh, but if someone presented a good enough pitch I wouldn't mind playing in one I do however really want to make a Viking character the next time I play a Dark Ages game. Mm. Uh, so yeah, when it comes uh, to it as a game book, I, I want to recommend this book if you don't already have it. Yeah, I, I agree. From from a gaming perspective, it has a lot of useful and, and funny stuff and, and cool stuff. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, though, that it's... the What, what I felt was kind of missing is that, I, again, it, it talks about or, or it deals with the Viking period again, seven seven ninety three to ten sixty six, and and what I would have liked to seen a bit more of is how you could use this uh, in in the general Dark Ages setting. Like if if you wanted um, surviving vampires uh, from from the Viking Age, kind of what we talked about on on our elder uh, elders side quest episode. Like how how can you use these? Uh, older vampires from from an older setting in what is from the current setting, the modern knights. Uh, but but again, that you could do since it's the world of darkness. You don't have to care about um, historicity, historicity too much uh, in historical accuracy. So so you could basically take this and if you want Scandinavia to be a lot more like it was a hundred or two hundred or three hundred years earlier yeah you could probably do it a lot of the things still work like we mentioned you still had christian vikings going uh going viking um there were according to uh, some sources human sacrifice to white christ as he was called jesus uh, so so a lot of the traditions uh, and the culture stayed on for quite some time and and you actually had to have missionaries going to scandinavia not only to spread the world of christ but also to tell the newly Christian Vikings or, or Norsemen to please stop sacrificing people to, to your <laughs> new god because he's not about that. Yeah. Well, we have been talking now for over two and a half hours. Uh, so thank you to everyone who's who's managed to stay on for, for this long and listen to our ramblings. <laughs> I think we should wrap yeah. it up. Um, next week it is uh, side quests, and the next Dark Ages book we look at is Canite Heresy, which is a book that I've never read and which touches upon a subject that a good friend of ours is an expert in. So I really hope that uh, that we don't make any mistakes that he's going to come after <laughs> yeah. us for. Peter, do you have any last comments before we sign off? No, I, I think we both said enough already. 
<laughs> right, well, then it is goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell, and see you next time. Bye.